to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. It's been a long time, I shouldn't have left you Without a strong rhyme to step to Think of how many weeks shows you slept through Time's up, I'm sorry I kept you Thinking of this, you keep repeating your miss The rhyme from the microphone solo with So you sit by the radio hand on the dial soon As you hear it, pump up the volume Dance with the speaker till you hear it blow Then plug in a headphone, cause here it go It's a full letter word when it's heard to control Your body to dance So Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Yes, at the greatest of them all, the R, the A to the K-I-M. If it wasn't, then why would I say I am? As said, it's been a long time, I shouldn't have left you without a strong podcast to step to. Think of how many weak podcasts you slept through. Well, time's up, and I'm sorry I kept you. I apologize. I am sorry for the delay in podcast from the last time I did it. But a lot of things have been going on in my life. Things have been turning around now for the better in terms of getting some of that unemployment money, finding out what's happening with the Clark County School District in terms of the substitute jobs and everything going down with that. So, you know, in this whole routine, I've been watching a whole lot of uh, basketball, the NBA doubleheaders every night. I've actually, for the past now going on three weeks, I've actually got my fat lazy, pathetic, out-of-shape ass outside and actually walking around in terms of going up hills, in terms of getting my cardio right, in terms of seeing what I can do to lose weight. So, you know, four days a week, I've been doing some exercises. So basically what's been happening is, you know, there were some things that came into my life at the time for this short period of time, which didn't allow me to go ahead and do the things that I needed to do to uh, do a podcast. Um, but, uh, that has now been taken care of. I've figured out the time of when I can go ahead with everything coming new into my life. I found out a time when I can go ahead and research and prepare and do my podcast. And, um, I'm excited about it. And I started a YouTube channel. It's Wendell Wallace. You just go to YouTube, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. I've done two videos already. Cliff Notes version. So basically I ain't babbling and rambling for two and a half hours calm the fuck down basically just 30 minutes cliff notes version of what my show is all about my uh last uh youtube video that i did was uh my remembrance of the great john thompson who died last week uh a couple of days before 78th birthday so that youtube video just off the cuff you know try to find some time and just freestyle riff a little bit about my thoughts and feelings about john thompson what he meant to me what he meant to the dc area what he meant to college basketball what he meant to the struggle that uh, we're still having in terms of moving forward this society along so basically that's it and um, i'm going to be doing these videos a couple of times a week. Like I said, they're only going to be somewhere between 20, 40 minutes somewhere. I hope to average it around somewhere 30 minutes. So again, this is not going to be a situation where I'm just going to be going on and on and on like I do with my podcast. 
But as I mentioned before, you can, you know, do both. You can listen to my podcast, get the entertainment value from that, and then you can also go ahead. You want to see this ugly mug on YouTube, you know, no, when you go to my page and you take a look at me doing the video, no, I don't, that's not, that's not a Denzel Washington deal in there. No, I didn't put in Will Smith to do it. No, that's actually me. That's my handsome self, ladies, single, unrestricted free agent, ready to mingle, still good. But uh, yeah, you can, um, you can check that out. And, uh, you know, just growing, just expanding to see what I can do as the summer turns to the fall seeing what I can do to continue to grow, continue to improve, to continue to see what I can do to uh, move my podcast up in terms of listenership, growing, and all of those things. I'm kind of learning this on the fly, and I'm kind of learning this by myself. So, you know, making the corrections, making the errors, making the mistakes, learning them now. So, um, you know, as I get better in terms of the production and growing and building this podcast, I can get all of the amateuristic mistakes out of the way so when it really starts flowing or when it really starts moving when it really starts grooving and my style is improving then everything will be copacetic so Wendell's World of Sports sorry for the wait once again so glad that you could be with us Wendell Wallace is your host as I always say I hope everybody is doing well I hope everybody's doing what they need to do to make this place a better place to be your community your block your neighborhood your school your district your community, your state, your county, having the uncomfortable conversations about what we can do to move this country forward in a harmonized, unified uh, way. If not for our generation, which is not going to be for, we're planting seeds, we're building the foundations for your children and their children and their children, so on and so forth. So the issues and the racism and the bigotry and the misogyny and everything that we're going through right now in 2020 Hopefully by the year 2060, 2090, 2120, that all of these things, when they're in the history books, that generation will look back and say, man, they were actually had those type of attitudes. You're going to try me. You're going to try to tell me that police actually treated black people like that for real. And white people just sat back and said, yeah, they kind of deserved it or they make excuses for it. Wow. I'm so glad that we've evolved. So hopefully. As I mentioned before, the conversations that we're having, the discussions that we're having, the protests that we're having, the marching, the kneeling, the um, demonstrations that we're having, uh, as I mentioned before, don't get discouraged because for my generation and for the generation above and below me, this is not for us. We'll improve very slowly as we grow older. But this is not for us. This, these lessons and these things that we're teaching are going to be for those down the road, for those who are going to be coming 10, 20, 50 years after us. So, you know, by the time that shit happens, I'll be reunited with my mom and my dad. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. So as I always say for my podcast, bonjour, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. I hope that you're doing well. Konnichiwa, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi llamo Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. I hope everybody throughout the world is doing well and is treating each other with respect and dignity. All right, moving on, man. Woo! Things to discuss today. Football is right around 
the corner. Not football, not F-U-T-B-U-L, but American football is right around the corner. I guess you could say as I'm recording this, what, in less than what, between 24 and 30 hours, the first game of the NFL season will begin uh, starting on Thursday, Thursday night, 5.30 out here at Pacific Standard Time. The Houston Texans will be going up against the Kansas City defending Super Bowl champions. There will be Deshaun Watson versus Patrick Mahomes, the possibility of the next Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning for the uh, quarterback league in the next 10 years, both signing mega contract extensions this offseason. You can say now that they're in a position right now to be the marquee folks, the marquee players of the NFL for the next 10 to 12 years. If you're speaking about earlier this offseason, Mahomes signed a deal worth $450 million over the next 10 years, which could be up to $503 million by when everything is all said and done. The extension includes a $140 million insurance guarantee as well as a no-trade clause. Then Mahomes, just a couple of days ago or about a week ago, signed a four-year $160 million contract extension this past weekend. The total value of the deal is $177 million with nearly $111 million in guarantee. So Watson's going to be making $39 million per year in base salary, <laughs> which on average over the next four years will make him the highest paid player in the NFL during that time frame. And when you're speaking about the next great rivalry in sports in terms of position versus position, and you speak about Patrick Mahomes versus Deshaun Watson, and you speak about how long can this go on, if it maximizes its potential, Mahomes is only 24 years old. Deshaun Watson is only 25 years old, or at least he'll be 25 uh, next Monday, September 14th. So, man... Get ready. I am going to be interested. This is almost like the start of a great novel. You know, you had Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson. You had Wilt Chamberlain versus um, Wilt Chamberlain versus Bill Russell in basketball. You know, you had Mario Lemieux versus Wayne Gretzky in, hot, in hockey. You had Peyton Manning, as I mentioned before, versus Tom Brady in football. You've had all of these great rivalries, individual rivalries throughout sports. And yes, I understand that when you're speaking about a sport like football, when you're speaking about a sport like baseball, where normally because of the amount of players that are on the field or on the diamond at the same time, that it's very hard to quote unquote concentrate on a you know, via versus via, person versus person battle. I mean, in football, in baseball, I guess you could be talking about a great pitcher going up a great against a great batter. But for the most part, in football, you know, it's always a situation where it's the team versus the team, and the NFL has been built on rivalries concerning team versus team, whether we're speaking about the Chicago Bears versus the Green Bay Packers, the Washington football team versus the Dallas Cowboys, versus the uh, the Oakland Raiders versus the Kansas City uh, football team, where we're speaking about all of these rivalries, the Detroit Lions versus the uh, Chicago Bears or the Minnesota Vikings and their rivals. I mean, we always have these rivals in football based on teams. Well, you know, now the way that society is going and now the way that, you know, we're moving things right now in terms of where we're going in the direction of this country and the society. Let's just get back to, man, going back to the mono e mono battles, individual versus individual, like they do in basketball. Now, I remember when they would have the Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady type of deal, they'd always put it as the Tom Brady versus the New England Patriots, or the Tom Brady versus the Indianapolis Colts and Peyton Manning versus Bill Belichick. I always found that disrespectful and ignorant when you're speaking about it. You're going to be talking about 
Tom Brady or uh, Peyton Manning going up against Bill Belichick's defense, then you better damn well say that Tom Brady was going up against Tony Dungy's defense. But I always figured it to be Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning. So moving now to the next generation of quarterback versus quarterback, I think there's no better when you're taking a look at Patrick Mahomes versus Deshaun Watson, both, as I mentioned before, getting that guaranteed money and getting that, um, getting that, uh, getting the money that they deserve. And believe you me, Deshaun Watson is worth every penny of his new contract extension, every dollar, every dime, every quarter, every nickel, every fucking penny, every $2 bill. Got that right. He's one of the best young quarterbacks, uh, right behind Mahomes. If you really think about it, you kind of list the quarterbacks 25, 26 years or younger. Number one is Mahomes, who's the best quarterback in the league right now, bar young regardless of age, experience, or whatever. But as far as uh, Watson being one of the best quarterbacks or the number two quarterback in the, in the next generation of quarterbacks in the NFL, I'm including Lamar Jackson and Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott and Jared Goff and Drew Locke and Kyler Allen, and Jimmy Garoppolo, and Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, even, even, yes, I'm going to say that Deshaun Watson is even better than Mitchell Trubisky. Damn right I am. I'm putting that on, I'm putting that on blast. So, and you're right there, when you're speaking about Watson, speaking about locking him up for the uh, near future, was worth all the money, was worth averaging $39 million a year on base salary. I think Watson, when you when you uh, take a look at it, I think as far as quarterbacks is concerned, I think he's nowhere below six. If you take, if you're talking about the, uh, when you're talking about the football players today, I think Mahomes is the best quarterback in football for 2020. And then you go Drew Brees and then Russell Wilson. And then I think it's easy. If you want to put in a Deshaun Watson, I'm not going to argue with, uh, with you so much. So, you know, at this point in his career, I think that uh, Deshaun Watson is better than Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger, some of the old school cats, some of the uh, guys from the other generation who define what a franchise quarterback is all about. Now, he's going to have to get used to playing without one of the best wide receivers in football because, you know, Desha- DeAndre Watkins was traded off to uh, Arizona for running back David Johnson. And we see now that... Um, that Hopkins just signed a mega contract to uh, stay in Arizona. But the uh, core, if you take a look down for Houston, they, they all have great speed. And I think while, you know, losing your number one receiver in Hopkins, especially in the way that the uh, the many times that Watson targeted uh, Hopkins, they still have a pretty good core at the wide receiver position. They signed Randall Cobb to a three-year contract worth around $27 million. I mean, he could be valuable as the team's slot receiver. Last season for the Cowboys, he had 828 yards and a 71 receiving rate, which was his best numbers since 2016. Will Fuller, the fifth, is going to be the player that's going to take over uh, the responsibilities that Hopkins had, the number one receiver for the team. I mean, this is a situation where, you know, if he could stay healthy, he had the opportunity to do that, an opportunity not to fill DeAndre Hopkins' shoes, but I think be a guy who could be tagged with, Deshaun Watson to be a guy who can really be a potent uh, wide receiver. The only problem is, can he stay healthy? He's averaged 10 starts through his first four NFL seasons and never played an entire season. In the last season, he had hamstring problems, back problems, groin problems that require surgery. But 
you know, he's talking about I'm ready, good to go, and a-okay. So we'll see about that. The Texans also added Brandon Cooks uh, from who last played, what, with the L.A. Rams? He's playing for his fourth team in five years, runs well, runs the vertical tree well. He's very fast. Kenny Stills had 561 yards receiving, 40 catches and six touchdowns with uh, Deshaun Watson and the Texans last year. He had a passer rating of 127.5 when targeting him last season. So there's another weapon that they could use. Not too much from the tight end position for Watson and not too much of running backs coming out of the backfield that could be real weapons. David Johnson is supposed to be that guy, but David Johnson hasn't been that player for Arizona where he was a fantasy league darling for a lot of players in a while. So, you know, a lot of responsibility is going to put on DeAndre, or excuse me, on uh, Deshaun, and we'll see how it goes. Key is the improvement, continued improvement, though, of the offensive line when you're speaking about maximizing the potential of what Deshaun Watson can be at the quarterback position over the next couple of years for the Houston Texans. I mean, we're speaking about as a rookie playing behind a bad offensive line. He was 3-3 three and three at the starting quarterback, and then when he got injured, they went 1-9 and nine without him. Then in the second year, still behind an offensive line that had him sacked 62 times, not even counting the hurries and not even counting the times he had to lead the pocket because of uh, pressure from the defensive linemen or linebackers. He was still completing almost 69% of his passes for over 4,000 yards, 26 touchdowns, and 9 interceptions to go along with a 103.1 passer rating. And this is a guy who also rushed for 551 yards and 5 touchdowns, again, behind a very porous offensive line. So, I mean, this is a guy who has been a gamer. You remember that game against the Cowboys that year where... You know, he was up there playing, and he had cracked ribs, the bruised lung, partially collapsed lung, and somehow, someway, I think it was in overtime, he still found a way to uh, help Houston defeat the uh, Cowboys. I mean, the guy's a gamer, man. So we're speaking about last year, playing in a 15-game schedule, completed 68% of his passes, speaking about Deshaun Watson, completed 68% of his passes, 3,800 yards, 26 touchdowns, a 98 passer rating, ran for 413 yards, 7 touchdown runs. We had a situation here where, you know, he'd been that guy. And for all of the blunders that Bill O'Brien has made in terms of him being the GM, and yes, we could sit there and hee-hee and ha-ha and make fun of him for the trade of DeAndre Hopkins, and it would be justified. This is a guy who realizes the importance of having Deshaun Watson, and you realize the importance of, hey, man, I can't let this guy get you know destroyed in the first couple of seasons behind a very poor offensive line. So this was a guy, Bill O'Brien, the GM, who helped out Watson who, uh, in the fact that you know he traded two first-round picks to the second-rounder for offensive uh, tackle Laramie Tunzel last season, and he drafted offensive uh, tackle Tyus Howard, 23rd overall, in the 2019 draft out of Alabama State, an offensive lineman Max Sharpering out of Northern Illinois, the 55th overall pick, gave a three-year, $33 million contract extension to uh, center Nick Martin. So, you know, this is a situation where at least O'Brien identified where the weak spots were on the team, what needed to be upgraded, what needed to be improved, and he made the bold decisions to do so. So I, I will give the man credit for that. I don't know the impact of what uh, losing DeAndre Hopkins means, but 
at least with the offensive line, he got the job done there, improving that. And again, the Texans have steadily improved. Laramie Tunsil is developing into one of the better uh, left tackles in college football. If the line, offensive linemen can stay healthy, continue to gel and build chemistry, it's only going to help not only Deion, uh, uh, Deshaun Watson, but it's also going to be you know, helping such guys at the running back, Carlos Hyde, who was able to finish his first and only season in Houston with over a 1,000 yards rushing and six touchdowns. So on the field, Watson is money, worth every penny. But then when you're speaking about a guy who you might want to put at the face of your franchise, the face of the community, the face of the city of Houston, when we're speaking about uh, the city of Houston, you know, you have the Astros who've won a title. You've had the uh, Houston Rockets who have had success before with James Harden. You've had, uh, you know, now with the Houston, Texas, where the NFL is the top dog in terms of sports, in terms of professional leagues in that city. The number one guy for the number one sport franchise in that city could be the guy like Deshaun Watson. Are you comfortable with him being that guy? Are you comfortable with him when the cameras are not on, when he's no longer on the playing field during the offseason? Are you going to be comfortable as an owner of a football team to invest that type of money into a guy who not only is going to have to be able to perform on the football field, but also to be able to uh, be a strong representative of your organization outside of the football field and in the community, of all the communities in Houston, whether we're speaking about the poor, the rich, the black, the brown, the Hispanic, the Asian, the uh, white, the Jewish, whatever it is. Are you going to be Sean Watson up to that task? And so far, despite the fact of being a young guy, 24 years old, he's shown the maturity both on and off the football field, speaking about Deshaun Watson, of being that guy. I mean, he's done a lot off the field for social injustice. He was one of the players who taped the video. Patrick Mahomes was in there also, but uh, Watson was one of the players who taped the video that demanded NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell own up to the way the league mishandled player protests during the 2016 and 2017 seasons and Roger Goodell actually made mention to that in terms of that video that was made so we speak about the power or the impact or the influence that Sean Watson is cultivating right now as he moves forward in his professional football career you're speaking about uh, Deshaun Watson being on the streets with fellow protesters in Houston this summer after the murder of George Floyd we're speaking about Watson and Fellow Clemson alumnus DeAndre Hopkins, who were teammates, and as I mentioned before, Hopkins is now playing with the Arizona Cardinals with a fat new contract, but both him and Hopkins urged the school to remove the name of John C. Calhoun, a slave-owning politician who owned land that land that Clemson built his school upon from the school. So, you know, we're speaking about doing this in South Carolina, not New York, not uh, California, not one of the liberal bastions of this country. We're speaking about the power that uh, DeAndre Watkins is showing in predominantly uh, conservative states. So good job for Deshaun Watson, man. And again, I'm, I'm interested to see what happened. We know about the Kansas City football team. We know about how strong they are. They're the defending Super Bowl champions, having the best quarterback in football, having a strong offense built around them, having Andy Reid now erasing that moniker of being the best coach who's never won a Super Bowl. He don't have to, he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. The Kansas City Chiefs are going to be strong, even though I must say, and I say this every year when concerning the NFL, I'm 
not one of these guys are going to sit there and tell you in August or tell you in July or tell you after free agency or tell you after the draft or even after the preseason who's going to be doing what in terms of who's going to be winning the Super Bowl, who's going to be playing in the Super Bowl, who are going to be winning the conferences, who's going to be winning the divisions. I don't do any of that stuff because football is so goddamn unpredictable. When you speak about, there's always a situation where there's going to be a marquee player who's going to get injured. We're speaking about a league where there's always a team where there is nobody on the radar even coming close in terms of saying this is the team that's going to uh, turn their season around for the better and be one of the elite teams in the NFL for that season. How many people realistically at the beginning of the 2019 NFL season thought that the San Francisco 49ers who were coming off a three-win season the year before were going to be the class of the NFC and uh, make it to the Super Bowl and be close to winning the Super Bowl. Who would have thought that? No one would have thought that. So I don't know, man. You know what? I, I, the football is just too wild. Football is just too complicated in terms of trying to figure out who's going to be doing what, who's going to be doing where. A little bit later, look, I'll be talking about, yeah, I can sit there and say the Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers, the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, those teams are going to be Super Bowl contenders. The Washington Snyder Skins, the Cincinnati Bungles, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, they're probably going to stink out loud. But there's a team out there that's projected not to be very good. I don't know if it's going to be the Detroit Lions. I don't know if it's going to be the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know if it's going to be the Charlotte Panthers. I don't know which team it's going to be. But one team where we're expecting, you know what, if they win six or seven games in the 16-game schedule this season, if they can win six or seven games, for them that's going to be a monumental uh, successful season. There's going to be one of those teams that's actually going to be winning the division, that's actually going to be playing for a championship. It happens every single year. Very, very, very rarely does the NFL season hold chalk in terms of what the prognosticators say are the best teams and who's going to be winning the division and who's going to be winning the conferences and stuff. So I am, um, I'm, I'm interested. For the first four or five weeks, my thing about football is I'm just a fan. And when the season starts, I'm a fan. I'm not sitting up there looking for trends. I'm not sitting up there looking for uh, absolutes. I'm not sitting up there looking for I told you so's in terms of who's going to be great, who's not going to be great. There's been too many games to start the NFL season throughout the years where the one team looks great on opening day, the other team looks lousy on opening day, and you take a look and you say, God damn, how is that team ever going to lose a game? And the team that they played at the beginning of the season or the first weekend of the season, you take a look at them and you say, God damn, how is that team ever going to win a game? And everything turns around. Eight, nine weeks into the season, weren't the New England Patriots, the uh, weren't they undefeated at this time? How did they end the season? At the beginning of the season, weren't the Miami Dolphins considered one of the worst teams in football? And were they ever going to win a game? And how did Brian Flores turn that team around? And now with the social injustice, now with no preseason season games, now with this pandemic that's happening, the uncertainty of you know what's going to be happening from week to week, I can sit here with any type of strong confidence and say, oh yeah, there's an absolute that as, as prolific, as strong as the Kansas City football professional team looks, that, oh yeah, they're going to run roughshod and they're going to go ahead and be the class of the NFL when everything is all said and done at the end of the 2020 season. It looks that way. 
common sense should tell you that it's going to be that way. But, you know, unlike the NBA, where we know for the most part who the best teams are, like, unlike baseball, where we know for the most part who the best teams are, in the NFL, that doesn't happen. I would have mentioned hockey, but, you know, with hockey, I really just don't give a fuck. But, um, sorry, sorry, Armando. But, uh, for the most part, yeah, so in football is that only squad, is that only, um, only league where you just can't look at what someone did in the offseason or what someone did through the draft or what, how someone is looking through the preseason games or even the first couple of games of the season and then go ahead and say, ah, boom, that's going to be the team that's going to be great. That's going to be the team that's going to be lousy. It's not. It's not. But uh, again, let's start the NFL season. And let me sit back, relax. Let me get my popcorn ready. Let me get my root beer ready. Let me get my chocolate-covered raisins ready. Let me get my guacamole with chips ready. Let me go ahead and get my apples with uh, peanut butter ready. Told you, man, I'm on a little bit of a diet, right? Let me go ahead after I drink my green drink of cabbage and kale and spinach and tomatoes and carrots and apple to uh, sweeten it up. Maybe put in a clove of garlic. Let me get that bullshit out of the way and let me sit back, relax, and enjoy my football. Because Thursday night or Thursday afternoon, wherever you might be in this wild, wide world of living, football is back. American football is back. And man... That makes me so happy. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's going down in the world of sports, ah, man, man, do I love me some Four Tops. This song I've been singing, I don't know, man, like nonstop for the last couple of days. As time goes by, you will see that we're going to be free, you and me will touch the sky. Can't you see in your mind's eyes that we are one, we're all the same, and life is just a simple game. I love the version by the Four Tops. Anything Levi Stubbs sings, I, you know, just, my mother, Levi Stubbs, you could, you know, dig up Levi Stubbs from the grave in Michigan, in Detroit, you know, you know bring him back to life like they did Steve Austin in the Six Million Dollar Man and you could have him saying, you know, Mary had a little lamb. And it would be like, for me, I'd be dancing on the ceiling like I was uh, Lionel Richie. But, uh, yeah, not only does do I love this version, I've been singing this version nonstop by the Four, stop, by the four Tops, but also the Moody Blues, uh, the, the original uh, artists of this tune. Their version is awesome also, so I've been singing that. And it's one of the few songs that I've actually come to where I can sing it closer to Levi Stubbs than I can the lead singer of the Moody Blues. I can't, I can't get the tune right for the Moody Blues when they're singing it. But when it comes to Levi, I get a little bit more of the feel into it because I'm a little bit closer. I'm eons and universes away from sounding as good as one of the 
greatest voices and the greatest singers of our 20th century in modern pop music history like the great the legendary Levi Stubbs but uh as time goes by did it do oh did it do did it do what's of another day flashing through my head thinking how life could be all of the great things our great men have said. Ah, you know what? Sing a better one. There's actually music behind me. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's going down in the world of sports. Konishiwa, my brothers and sisters. So, so we spoke about, I spoke about, hope you were listening, in the first segment about Patrick Mahomes getting paid and then Deshaun Watson getting paid and how... Deshaun Watson is worth it at every penny, not because of the responsibilities that he has on the football field in terms of the responsibility that he has um, for the success of the team, but also when you're getting that kind of money. And I said it before when Aaron Rodgers got his bread and he became the uh, highest paid football player in the game and everything like that. You know, when someone attaches a big money contract to your name, all of a sudden, expectations become even higher because all of a sudden, the spotlight grows a lot bigger on you. And sometimes those expectations be- become unrealistic because they're attaching what you need to be doing to the contract that you're making. So if Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league, but yet still, as far as a season-per-season basis for the next four years, he's not making the he's not making the same or he's not making more money than Deshaun Watson, who's supposed to be making a reported $39 million in base salary. All of a sudden now it's like, well, obviously you have to perform. If you're Deshaun Watson, you have to perform better than Patrick Mahomes because hell, if you're making $39 million and you're the highest paid quarterback in the league, you should be, you know, the person that's supposed to be the best quarterback in the league, right? The best player in the league, right? If not, why are we giving you all that money? It puts that spotlight on that guy. Now, all of a sudden, people who might not even follow the game of football know who Deshaun Watson is. People who might not know too much about sports in general might know now who Deshaun Watson is. Deshaun Watson now with a $140 million ban or Deshaun Watson right now with a $39 million ban. And that comes with extra added weight, pressure, and responsibilities. How is Deshaun Watson going to be able to handle that now just like Patrick Mahomes? Half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars. I don't give a fuck if all of it is not guaranteed. I don't give a damn if he's probably not going to see all of that money. I don't give a damn maybe in the next four or five years that they're going to restructure that contract. I don't give a damn. As of right now, September 9th, 2020, Patrick Mahomes, to the majority of people, is the half billion dollar guy. Now, all of a sudden, all of those accolades and all of the accomplishments that Patrick Mahomes had in his first couple of seasons as the starter for the Kansas City defending Super Bowl champions, all of a sudden now you have to you have to top that because of the stigma of you being the half billion dollar guy. And if you're not strong mentally, if you have any weaknesses in terms of your character or your confidence, man, that could destroy people. That's the responsibility that you have when you get that dollar amount attached to you. Dak Prescott, who I'll be talking about in a quick second here, pretty soon he's going to find that out. 
He's already had kind of like a training course sort of type of thing with him being the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, if Dak Prescott has a great year and all of a sudden he becomes in that same class financially, contract-wise, as the Patrick Mahomes, as a Deshaun Watson, how is the Dallas Cowboys quarterback who's going to be making $40 million going to uh, react to that? Now, from the makeup, from the outside looking in, don't know Dak Prescott, never interviewed Dak Prescott, never been around Dak Prescott, but from everything we've heard about Dak Prescott, he has the character, he has the maturity to uh, be able to withstand that. And again, I have not been around Deshaun Watson. I have not interviewed Deshaun Watson. I have not hung out with Deshaun Watson. I intimately, personally don't know Deshaun Watson, but if you speak to people who do, and if you speak to people who have been around him, they have said that this guy is the one person who could be able to handle all of the pressures that come with not only being the quarterback for a football-crazed city in a football-crazed state like the state of Texas and the city of Houston, but also now being the man, now being the guy, at least for one year. It ain't about the Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott, even though he will get his fair share of spotlights about is he going to sign, when's he going to sign, why didn't he sign, did he make a mistake in not signing, should he have done this, that, and the other. But Deshaun Watson now is that guy because of that contract that he signed. It's going to be interesting. It's really going to be interesting to uh, to see that. So we take a look at the pattern here on Wendell's World of Sports the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Don't forget that you can also listen to the Cliff Notes version of this program, which will be dropping probably tomorrow. I'll probably do something tonight after the basketball games and uh, put in my uh, thoughts and feelings about you know some of the stuff that I'm talking about now. You can check out my YouTube page, Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Just go to YouTube, type in W-E-N-D-E-L-L slash W-A-L-L-A-C-E space W-A-L-L-A-C-E, excuse me. And it should be there, yours, yours truly, in all this glory. Um, but uh, speaking about, you know, the next person, next quarterback, who's going to get PA'd, Patrick Mahomes, as I mentioned before, 12 years, $503 million. Contract had $63 million fully guaranteed at signing, including a $10 million signing bonus, $141 million guaranteed. We heard about Russell Wilson, how... Long was he the highest paid quarterback in the league when he signed a four-year contract extension for $140 million in 2019? $107 million of that was guaranteed. We spoke about someone like a Ben Roethlisberger years ago who signed a two-year contract extension with the Pittsburgh Steelers. The contract is worth somewhere around $68 million with $37.5 million guaranteed via a sign-in bonus. Aaron Rodgers, remember all the hoopla that Aaron Rodgers had thrust upon him when he signed a four-year $134 million contract extension with the Packers in 2018, a contract that has $98 million in guaranteed money, including a $57.5 million signing bonus and $78 million with fully guaranteed as signing. And that's when Danica Patrick broke up with him? Wow. Or vice versa? I don't know, but interesting. Very interesting. But, you know, it's always big news in the NFL when quarterbacks get paid. Aaron Donald got paid. Wow. Jalen Ramsey got paid. Wow. He just got paid. So that's the only reason why I'm mentioning him, the cornerback for the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Um, DeAndre Hopkins just got paid by the Arizona Cardinals. A um, couple of defensive. Miles Garrett. 
of the Cleveland Browns, the best defensive lineman in the game right now outside of Aaron Donald. He got paid, I believe, five years, $125 million or somewhere around that number. So those are all like, oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, wow, this, that, the other. But it's nothing as far as conversation starting pieces in terms of, wow, can you imagine that? Wow, what's the impact of that? Wow, is he worth that? Wow, what does it mean to team that he signed that contract? Nothing brings out those type of discussions and those type of emotions and those type of opinions and that type of passion when it's the quarterback who signed for big money. And other quarterbacks who've gotten paid other than Roethlisberger and Rodgers and Russell Wilson and everybody broke down for days in terms of what does that mean? Patrick Mahomes' contract extension was a big topic of discussion for a couple of days. Deshaun Watson's contract extension, that was the talk of the sporting world for the uh, uh, couple for a couple of days there. But, you know, Jared Goff signed a four-year extension for $134 million. Kurt Cousins, who rolled the dice and rolled the dice when he was with the Washington Dysfunctional Skins, finally got out of there and signed a two-year extension worth $66 million after signing a uh, guaranteed contract, three years, $90-something million with the Minnesota Vikings. Carson Wentz, remember him? Carson Wentz, he was supposed to be the next... He was supposed to be the next, you know, great superstar franchise QB in terms of the franchise being the NFL when he signed a four-year, $128 million contract extension with the Eagles last June, which included a $108 million guaranteed. Matt Ryan signed a five-year, $150 million contract extension in 2018 with almost $95 million being fully guaranteed. So NFL quarterbacks are going to get paid if you can perform. So next up to get paid, and I mean P-A-I-D paid, Dak Prescott, Dallas Cowboys. He signed an exclusive franchise tender in June, and that's worth, what, $31.5 million, fully guaranteed. So basically, what does this mean for Prescott? What does this mean for the Cowboys moving forward? He is either going to be tagged again in 2021 at the cost of $37.7 million, or he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. I cannot imagine that the Cowboys, if they don't get a long-term extension, I cannot imagine that the uh, that Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones and the Joneses are going to go ahead and sign him to another franchise tag. So this, this is the season for Dak Prescott. And he had his most productive season since his rookie year when you're speaking about last year. So he comes in this season with a lot of uh, a lot of expectations and a lot of uh, momentum. Started all 16 games, threw for over 5,000 yards, almost 5,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Was a great pairing the first year with offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. He attacked down the field more than ever, leading to his number three ranking in the league in passing on 20 plus yards per throw. So, yeah, man. And so I'm quite sure when he saw that Deshaun Watson got paid like he did in Houston, shit, about how far is Houston from Dallas going north? What, about a couple of hundred miles or something like that? That man was up there dancing in the street like he was Martha and the Vandellas talking about, I'm about to get paid because I'm dancing in the streets. Woo! So if he has another season, Think about it. If Prescott has another season like he had last season, or he becomes even more comfortable under the tutelage and play calling and leadership and the um, uh, of Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, 
If he has another season like he did last season and Dallas wins the AFC East, sorry, he's going to be the highest paid player in the game. Deshaun Watson, that $39 million per year, talking about, yeah, he's the highest paid player per base per base salary. That's going to last only a year because I'm quite sure Dak Prescott's going to sign his four or five year contract worth a boatload of money and it's going to be costly for the Dallas Cowboys would have done what Kirk Cousins did with the Washington Snyder skins. Kirk Cousins could have, you know, taken a nice little um, contract by the uh, fool skins. But he said, no, I'm going to go ahead. I'm worth more than that. And basically, he was kind of aiming his way to get the hell out of town. Can't blame him. And uh, that's exactly what he did. He rolled the dice on his abilities, and he won, and he got paid. And according to Jen Slater of the NFL Network, Prescott was involved at the last minute in an effort to get a long-term deal. But, you know, it was up against the 3 p.m. Central Standard Time deadline. And uh, they were like, nope, sorry, we're just going to move on. The deal was somewhere between 33 and $35 million with a $110 million guaranteed. And according to the reporting by Jen Slater, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott couldn't get it done. So we'll see. It's a gamble on both sides, really. They take a look at the Cowboys. They have nowhere else to go. The Cowboys didn't draft a quarterback just in case. The Cowboys don't have a quarterback in reserve just in case. I mean, for the Cowboys, it's Dak Prescott or nothing. Not just for this year, but going forward. Because if the Cowboys even reach somewhere close to their potential, they're not going to be in a position to uh, draft themselves a quarterback. Now, they could have said that three or four years ago when they drafted some guy out of Mississippi State in the fourth round, they drafted Dak uh, Prescott. No one thought he was going to turn into the quarterback that he turned into. But chances are, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice on that situation. Uh, Dak Prescott is not going to be showing up in the fourth and fifth and sixth rounds for you to draft, and you can um, have him become your starting quarterback and be successful as he has been. And not only that, have him play on the contract of being of someone being drafted in the fourth or fifth round. So the Cowboys, with the with the um, you know with having Prescott on the team, this is it, man. They've already signed Ezekiel Elliott. They've already took care of uh, Jalen, uh, oh, the, the linebacker shit. The name will come to me in a second. But they've already taken care of Amari, uh, Amari uh, Cooper and those guys. They've already done all that stuff. Now it's time for them to see what they can do about um, Dak Prescott. So Dak, you know, as I mentioned before, rolling the dice. Because if he does have a bad year, he'll get paid, no doubt about it. I mean, he's not going to find he's not going to have to find a summer job at Wendy's to make sure that he can pay for his uh, one-room shack. But, uh, you know, it's a big deal for him to also have a, a big year going forward. So both player and franchise are taking a big risk. So basically, the question is, Exactly how much is Dak Prescott worth? We're asking that question here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. How much exactly is Dak Prescott worth? Well, that's always, my answer is always, hey, you know, if someone's going to be giving, if someone's going to overpay you, you say thank you very much and tell people who are looking at you sideways to go fuck themselves. Um, you know, not, no one put a gun to anybody's head and said, I demanded this money. If someone's going to give you the money, then obviously you must, you must deserve it. You must be worth it. Someone thinks that you're worth it. So, I mean, you know, was um, is Jay-Z deserving of Beyonce? You know, take away his money? Of course not. But, you know, you put a billion dollars in front of, you know, put a billion dollars next to Sean Carter's name, and then you have a female like Beyonce who's going to be interested. 
You take away the billion dollars from Sean Carter's name and you put down substitute teacher from Clark Kelly. Beyonce is going to be saying, uh, I ain't putting a ring on shit. But uh, so, you know, anybody want to give you that money? Anybody want to give you those accolades? Anybody want to give you whatever they give you? If that's what they feel that they're worth, then by, by George, you go ahead and do it. Or by Dak Prescott, you go ahead and you take that money and you smile and you give them the... Uh, Brett Michaels, or you give them the Shawn Michaels, Triple H, DX chop, say suck it, and there you go. I mean, you take a look at the top tier quarterbacks, right? You have Patrick Mahomes, you have Russell Wilson, you have Drew Brees, you have Lamar Jackson. Those are the top tier quarterbacks. And when I'm talking about, when I'm talking about top tier, when I'm talking about best quarterbacks in the game, here's my, here's my definition of it. For me, my definition is not just speaking about this season. It includes this season about two or three seasons down the road. Because the NFL is, we're speaking about contracts that are always broken. Contracts where the majority of the uh, dollars are in the signing bonus. We're always thinking about, we're always hearing about players who are being cut. There's always surprises of players who are being cut. Leonard Fournette with the Jacksonville Jaguar, one of the... um, surprises of the preseason was let go by the Jacksonville Jaguars. So for us to start speaking about, you know, top tier quarterbacks and what they mean to their team and moving forward and stuff, I'm not speaking about what they did in 2017 or 2018 or 2019. I'm not even speaking about what they're going to be in 25, 2025 or 2026. I'm speaking about for the next couple of years where for the most part, you can take a look and see that these quarterbacks are going to be associated with their team. Most of them are going to be associated with their offensive coordinators. A lot of them are going to be associated with the style of offense that they have and the personnel around them that they have that they can work with. Chemistry, um, such things as, as chemistry, knowledge of who they're playing with, you know, comfortability level. Those are always important things when we're talking about quarterbacks doing what, doing great, doing well, Everything is based on statistics, right? In terms of, wow, this guy was great because he threw for X number of yards, X number of touchdowns, passer rating of this. You know, that coincides with them having a decent running game. That coincides with them having an offensive lineman that can keep him upright. That coincides with wide receivers who might be able to get open, whether it be at the slot receiver, whether it be receivers who can run the deep patterns well and the go routes well, someone who's a possession receiver, all of these things. And how many times that they've been together and worked together, how many years, how many reps, how many film sessions, how many ups and downs, how much have their how much have they bonded through their chemistry working with each other, the quarterback, through the offensive line, through the wide receiver, through the tight end, through the running back, through the offensive coordinator, through the quarterback coach, through the offensive line coach, to the uh, head coach. All of these things you have to surmise, all of these things you have to take into play and and account for when we're speaking about top-tier quarterbacks, who's the best quarterback, who would you rather have on your team, blah, blah, blah. So, as I mentioned before, top-tier quarterbacks for me right now, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Lamar Jackson. Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl winner. Russell Wilson, Super Bowl winner. Drew Brees, Super Bowl winner. Lamar Jackson, dynamic, unbelievable, game-changing, culture-changing type of uh, football player and athlete. We'll see moving forward because he has had his shortcomings in the playoffs while he's still this uber unbelievable athlete who the league is still trying to catch up to in terms of what can we do to slow this guy down. Might take another year or two before the league 
finally gets a little bit closer to solving how to slow down, not stop, but slow down some of the athletic attributes that Lamar Jackson brings to the quarterback level. And within that time, he can also improve his skills as a pocket present, a pocket quarterback. So, you know, while they make a move, he can make a counter move to that by improving what he can do from the pocket, playing a pure old fashioned quarterback style of play. So, uh, you know, so those are my top tier guys. The next tier, you're speaking about Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, Kurt Cousins, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, and then in that tier, we have Dak Prescott. And then you talk about, you know, the next level down. For me, just my opinion, you know, Matthew Stafford, Jimmy Garoppolo, Cam Newton, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, Ryan Tannehill, Jared Goff, Derek Carr, Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then in the final tier, you have the um, quarterbacks who really hasn't put together a body of work strong enough to really get a strong indication of which way they're going to go. Or, you know, you're speaking about Kyler Murray going into his second year, Mitchell Trubisky. We kind of figure out after a couple of years, we know that he what he basically is, which is a lower tier quarterback who really shouldn't be starting, even though he's getting the starting nod over Nick Foles. Okay. Uh, Daniel Jones of the New York Giants moving into his second year. Drew Locke. With the Denver Broncos, I believe he's going into his third year. Uh, Sam Darnold, third year. Baker Mayfield, third year. Gardner Minshew. Joe Burrow, who's uh, starting for the Cincinnati Bengals this rookie year. And Tua Tungavailoa, he's not even starting. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be the starting quarterback in Miami. Good move, I believe, by Brian Flores to do that. If you're not going to have any preseason games, you're going to have a truncated uh, um, offseason because of the pandemic and such. You have uh, Tunga Vailoa, who's coming off a major injury, even though they say that he's healthy right now. I still say that there's some positivity. I still say that there's some uh, um, uh, real goodness in having a quarterback wait. I don't, I, for him to be rushed on the field and this, that, and the other, I, I've always felt that there's a bigger risk in him being a bust, throwing him out there quickly rather than having him wait, rather having him you know, kind of learn what it's like to be a professional, learn what it's like for him, you know, being out on his own for real. Basically, when you leave college, starting life for real. So, you know, while Tua takes care of that situation, don't know if he's living with his parents or don't know anything like that. But, you know, I always feel that with these quarterbacks coming into the league, especially you're speaking about a guy in Tua who's leaving, what, he's, what, 21 years old, somewhere like that. Hey, man, it's hard enough to uh, live your life a 21, 22-year-old with a boatload of money. Of course, I, I wouldn't know that. I'm 51 years old with no money, so I can only imagine how hard it could be at that age and that lack of maturity, that lack of just living, having millions upon millions of dollars, and then also having the responsibility of being the quarterback of a Fortune 500 company, namely an NFL franchise. No need for the Miami Dolphins to put that type of uh, pressure on this kid after what he's been through injury-wise and stuff. I'm not saying you bench him for an entire year like the Atlanta Falcons did with Mike Vick or the then Houston uh, Houston Oilers did with Steve McNair or what the Cincinnati Bengals did with uh, Carson Palmer or such. But I think at least for the first six or seven weeks, I would let Fitzpatrick do a thing, let Tua learn, let Tua get comfortable just, again, living 
getting acclimated to what it's like to be an NFL quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a good guy to lean on. He's a very strong professional in that sense that he's going to teach him uh, the ropes to get him as ready as he could be, as he can be. And then in week six or seven or eight, when the Dolphins are three and five, if the NFL lasts that long, then you go ahead and you put into a, and you see what he can do. But those are really my top tier quarterbacks. So getting all the way back to does Dak Prescott deserve the money that he makes? Yeah. You take a look at the contracts that these guys have. Lamar Jackson, the next guy who's going to get paid a huge amount of money in a couple of years. But yeah, if you take a look at the contracts of Watson and Carson Wentz and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan and Kurt Cousins and Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, yeah. Yeah, Dak Prescott, the, uh, he's in that class. So, yeah, he deserves to be paid. And if the market dictates, inflation dictates, the year that we're living in dictates that at this time, he's going to be getting that type of money. And believe me, by the time that uh, his contract is going to be in his fourth or fifth year, depending upon how many years he signs for, I mean, you're going to have guys like Trevor Lawrence. You're going to have guys like Justin Fields. You're going to have guys like Lamar Jackson. You're going to have... You know, these guys, maybe Joe Burrow or Tua Tungabailoa, who are going to be making by that time, what, 43, 44, $45 million. And we're going to be debating whether those guys are as good as Dak Prescott to be uh, garnering that type of money. As I mentioned before, if someone's going to give you that money, you're worth it. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about this old Dak Prescott getting paid situation. He writes between, in my opinion... Look, I'm no quarterback guru. I'm no quarterback expert. But just by taking a look at Prescott, seeing what he's doing from any given Sunday, I think at the best he can be a top four, top five quarterback from one week. And I think at his very worst, he could be somewhere around 12 or 13 in terms of the type of quarterback that he is. So to me, that uh, he should get paid. He should get paid. You take a look at the quarterbacks he should be compared to in his generation from 2014, 2015, 2016. And you speak about Jared Goff. I think he's better than him. Blake Bortles, please. Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz is better. Carson Wentz also can't uh, find his way on the field the consistent amount of time that um, Dak Prescott um that that Prescott is, you know, you can't help the club if you're in the tub. So the only thing I think that Prescott has over Wentz in that department is the fact that he's more durable than Carson Wentz is. So if you're going to be giving a a big time contract four or five years to Wentz or Prescott, and you throw the injury factor in there, you're a little bit more comfortable that injury wise, Prescott is going to be able to fulfill the expectations of the amount of guaranteed money that you're giving more than Carson Wentz, who have shown year after year that he cannot finish an entire 16-game schedule. But other than that, I would say Carson Wentz is a better player, better quarterback than Dak Prescott. So you take, again, look at the comparison of quarterbacks. Dak Prescott in his generation, better than Goff, better than Bortles, Johnny Manziel. <laughs> James Winston, he's better than Teddy Bridgewater. He's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's better than Marcus Mariota. He's better than Derek Carr. A couple of years ago, I would have said Derek Carr. But uh, as of right now, moving forward, I would go with uh, Prescott 
over Derek Carr, who, by the way, also got himself, not only did Derek Carr get himself a big-time contract from the Raiders, he also got that contract after he broke his ankle. So, you know, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there talking about what the fuck. And also, if you're going to be projecting exactly what Dak Prescott is going to be moving forward, because if you sign a four- or five-year contract starting in the 2021 season, I'm going to go on the assumption that you want this guy to continue to improve. So this huge amount of money, throw it out for argument's sakes, the 40.5 or $41 million that Prescott is going to be averaging over the next four or five years, that's not going to be just for him doing work in the 2021 season. If we're going to be paying you big money, and we're going to be having you the highest paid quarterback in the game, and the expectations that come with being the highest quarterback paid in the game, this is not going to be just for 2021 or 2022. How is Prescott going to be doing in 2024, 2025 for the 2026 season? So you take a look at that. Hey, again, he's going to be right up there with Mahomes and Watson and Wentz and Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Tua Tungavailoa, Russell Wilson, who still should be playing strong during that time, despite the fact that I believe, isn't Russell Wilson over 30? Is he thirty over 30 yet? I'll look it up later. But basically, he'll still be playing. And then you take a look at guys like, you know, Baker Mayfield. You take a look at Sam Darnold. Are those guys going to fulfill their expectations? What type of quarterbacks are they going to turn into, positive, negative-wise? You take a look at someone like a Justin Fields, who's coming out of Ohio State. Again, you move on up, as I mentioned before, and take a look at Trevor Lawrence, who's supposed to be, you know, the next superstar, uber-star quarterback who's going to change the way the game is played. 6'6", white skin, blonde hair, big arm, great character, great guy, great for the league. You know, this is a guy who uh, is going to, if he lives up to expectation, he's going to be the next Tom Brady to where, you know, the league is going to showcase. They don't have to worry about Patrick Mahomes or Dak Prescott or... Deshaun Watson or anybody like that, if Trevor Lawrence, no matter where that cat's playing, if he lives up to expectation with all of the attributes and all of the things that they that he has, that could be advantageous and that could be a moneymaker for the NFL shit. Those guys, they're gonna they're going to uh they're going to uh you know promote him like the NBA promotes MJ, Kobe, LeBron and such, man. You kidding me? Shit. So you know, moving forward, as I mentioned before, I, I think that Dak Prescott, again, I think he's courageous by rolling the dice. I think in the, I don't know if you call it courageous. I don't know if you call it foolish, but uh, if I'm the Cowboys, I would have tried a little bit harder. I mean, again, you go ahead and you, you know, give all this money to these other folks and you're not going to do it to the most important player in the uh, on your team. All right. All right, don't understand that, but we'll we'll see how much it happens. But Dak Prescott, man, go ahead, make your money. And look, I'm a Washington football fan. I'm a Washington Snyderskin fan. I'm a Washington Foolskins fan. I'm a Washington, I can't believe this owner's still in charge of our team fans, uh, skins. Uh, so, you know, I have no, I have no rooting interest in the, uh, in what the Dallas Cowboys do. But uh, I hope that Dak Prescott gets his money. I think he's a good guy from the outside looking in. I think that, uh, again, with the attention that he can garner by getting the amount of money and being the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, if he could put that to good work, if he could put that to get use, 
I think that he wants to be a role model. This is a guy who, when he was the quarterback at Mississippi State, when he was going to school at Mississippi State, he got his degree in something that involved leadership. And we're speaking about a guy who was a fourth-round pick who overcame all these obstacles to become the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and to become one of the better quarterbacks in the league. You don't think that story could resonate for those in the poorer communities moving forward to help somebody, to help a child, to help someone who's down on their luck, whether it be in the ghettos of Fort Worth or Dallas or Houston or San Antonio or anywhere in this country, or maybe in the trailer parks, maybe in the ghettos of Appalachia, maybe in the uh, you know poor white trash that can help that, uh, that he couldn't be a symbol of hope. He couldn't be a symbol of motivation. He couldn't be a symbol of someone that, you know what, if he can do it, so can I. So yeah, man, I mean, the Dallas, a quarterback, superstar for the Dallas Cowboys, making that type of money. Dallas is one of the most visible teams on the planet earth having a quarterback like Dak Prescott making that type of money and doing well can not only be advantageous not only can it be a positive for the Dallas Cowboys and for the National Football League it can expand to in, to encompass encompass so much more of the positivity that it could bring World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, que pasa? Mi amigos, mi amo, a Wendell's World in Sports. That's me, your Yale, speaking about what's going on in the world of sports. NFL season starting. Love myself some NFL football. I don't know, man. How are you going to handicap this? Do you even handicap this stuff? Are you one of these guys who sit up there, or one of these gals? Hello. Are you one of these folks who are sitting up there talking about, well, I think this team is going to do this, and I think this team is going to do that, and I think the Super Bowl team is going to be this, and I think the Super Bowl team is going to be that, and, you know, you put in your bets, you put in your future bets, you put in your over and unders and all those things. I don't do any of that stuff, man, because I'll tell you the truth. I have no flipping idea. I don't. And this is one of the most difficult years to handicap who's going to be doing what. And when you speak about the pandemic, possible stoppage or cancellation of the season, you're speaking about the social injustice angle, how are the players going to react to that, how the fans are going to react to the players re- reacting to that. You have the November election. You have the no preseason games. I have no flipping idea, man. I hear all these folks talking about this, that, and the other. Like, it's just another, it's just like another day in Aliceville, man, in terms of everything is normal. This is not normal. 2020 has not been normal. 2020, for a whole lot of people, for millions upon millions of people, have been 
terrible, has been horrible. Whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, whether you're Asian, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're gay, whether you're straight, it don't fucking matter, man. Whether you live in the city, the suburbs, Beverly Hills, Liberty City, it don't fucking matter. It seems like this fucking pandemic has gotten to everybody. And then you throw in all the shit what's been going on with the social injustice, the revolutionary period that we're going through, the third reconstruction of our country, and how we're trying to, you know, normalize through that. How the fuck can you now sit there and talk about a football team is going to be doing this, that, and the other, man? I mean, we got this shit that's going to be happening in terms of the COVID-19 might be returning with a vengeance in a couple of months. And over the Labor Day weekend, we got a bunch of stupid motherfuckers in this country hanging around beaches, hanging around stores, hanging around uh, this, that, and the other. You know, I saw a picture of downtown Fremont here in Vegas, Old Town, uh, Las Vegas. You have these stupid motherfuckers out here all around each other. Nobody's social distancing. Nobody, hardly anybody's wearing any mask. They're out there just like it's a normal day in the year is 2018. You know, and I hear stuff like that all the time throughout this country in terms of people aren't taking this shit seriously. So, again, when this virus, I don't even know, should I, I don't even know if I should say it comes back. It's still here. It hasn't gone anywhere. But uh, when people are more, except a more, uh, it's, it's more likely that these folks are going to be getting this virus if they continue to be ignorant, if they continue to be bullheaded, if they continue to be stubborn and say, fuck it, we don't need this, we don't need that, the stores are open, the bars are open, the movies, or this, that, and the other are all open, so we can go ahead and go back to like, we can go ahead and party like it's 1999 with Prince on the guitar. We're going to have that type of attitude, man. We're going to be in the same fucking situation in about 12 weeks that we were at the beginning of uh, March. So I, I don't know. So again, how in the world are you going to sit there and talk about a team doing this and team doing that? Look, I can give a general, I can give my general thoughts and feelings about what's going to be happening in the NFL season. And I can give those general thoughts and feelings right here on Wendell, Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So I can tell you that, look, Baltimore, Kansas City, New Orleans, San Francisco, they're going to be the leading contenders for the Super Bowl. All right, there are the, they are, as of right now, the elite teams in the NFL. Teams like Tampa Bay, Seattle, Pittsburgh, they should all be solid Super Bowl contenders. Minnesota, New England, Buffalo, Houston, Philadelphia, Dallas, Green Bay, Tennessee, Indianapolis, all highly playoff caliber teams. Cleveland, the Las Vegas Raiders, Atlanta, Detroit, the Rams and the Chargers, the Los Angeles Rams and Chargers, believe they're going to be mediocre at the very best. Then you got teams like the New York Giants, the Arizona Cardinals, the Denver Broncos, Miami Dolphins. Should improve, but they're not good enough to make the playoffs. And then you have teams like the Cincinnati Bengals, the Jets, Carolina Panthers. Did I call them the Charlotte Panthers before? Holy shit. The uh, Carolina Panthers, the New York Jets, Cincinnati Bengals. Holy shit. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Washington Snyderskins are going to be rounding out, you know, those teams that are going to be finishing at the bottom. But who the flip knows? You know that between Tampa Bay, Seattle, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, New Orleans, 
Kansas City, Baltimore, you know one of them teams aren't going to reach expectations. You know one of those teams are going to be a big disappointment. You know one of those teams are. But you take a look with the clarity and you take a look at the common sense and you take a look at your third eye, which is, you know, about common sense and how can that be? And you can't say, I mean, what? Unless Patrick Holmes gets, Mahomes gets injured, Kansas City has a Super Bowl hangover. I don't see how that, unless the defense completely implodes and Mahomes gets injured, I don't see how the Kansas City Chiefs are going to disappoint. Unless Drew Brees becomes really old overnight, the situation with Alvin Kamara becomes uh, disheartening and the defense backtracks for New Orleans. I don't see how New Orleans is going to suffer. Unless Jimmy Garoppolo becomes Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't know. Unless the running game, Kyle Shanahan loses his brain to call offensive plays. I don't know how San Francisco, I know the defense is not going to be as dominant or strong as it was last season in Frisco because some of their defensive linemen are now gone. But I can't see San Francisco falling off a cliff unless Lamar Jackson regresses and he relies too much on his athleticism and he regresses as a uh, passer. I don't, I don't see how the Baltimore Ravens, especially a team so well put together and well coached, I don't know how they go from 14-2 and two to being 7-9, and 6-10, and 8-8 eight and, eight and missing the playoffs. But you know Tampa Bay, I mean, does Tom Brady finally show his age and Rob Gronkowski gets hurt and the defense regresses and Leonard Fournette is not the answer at the running back? Russell Wilson, does the offensive line finally become too much or the lack of protection from the offensive line from Russell Wilson, Wilson the lack of of uh, skilled players on the team, does that finally become too much for Russell Wilson to overcome? And Jamal Adams is just good at the safety, the new acquisition for the Seahawks. Pittsburgh does the defense, which basically was the reason why the Steelers finished 8-8 eight and eight to begin with last season, with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph as their quarterback. Does Ben Roethlisberger come back and show his age? The defense regresses and all of a sudden Pittsburgh is out of the playoffs? We don't know. We know one of these things are going to happen. History tells us more likely than not, one of these things are going to happen. Which one are you placing your bet on? If I told you that Baltimore, Kansas City, New Orleans, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, Seattle, Pittsburgh, one of those teams is going to disappoint. Which one would you pick? Which one? The old, the team with the old guy quarterbacks? With the 47-year-old quarterbacks? The one with the uh, quarterback coming back after missing the entirety, mostly the entire season? The lack of not having any playmakers? I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster? Okay. But, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe not having Antonio Brown? finally comes back to bite Pittsburgh. Maybe them not having Le'Veon Bell, even though he hasn't been with the Steelers for a couple of years. I mean, James Conner, can he replicate what Le'Veon Bell has done when we was in his, you know, statistic prime with the Pittsburgh Steelers? I mean, does that come back to haunt the Steelers? I don't know. I, I have no idea. But one of those things is going to come true. Then you take a look at a team like the Cleveland Browns, remember the teams that I said that were going to be mediocre at best? Cleveland, Las Vegas, Atlanta, Detroit, the Rams, the Chargers. One of those teams is going to win a division. I'm telling you right now, if you had to choose which one of those teams is going to win a division, who would it be? You couldn't put Cleveland over Baltimore, could you? 
Could you? Okay, Jake Conklin's there. They have a new coach in Kevin Stefanski. Uh, another year with Odell, uh, Dick Chubb. Uh, okay, one of the better young running backs in the league. The offensive line is uh, solidified a little bit more. They used their first round pick on an offensive lineman. As I mentioned before, it got Jake Conklin from Tennessee. Baker Mayfield, I mean, you know, may, he, is he going to grow up and mature and become that leader and have the better season than he had his rookie season when he had 27 touchdowns and set the record for most touchdown passes by a rookie? Is he going to build on that and not uh, crumble under the second year that he had? Uh, you know, Odell, Jarvis Landry, I mean, shit. Cleveland is a talented team, but are you ready to put them over? Damn, man, really. Are you ready to put them over uh, Baltimore? <sighs> Minnesota? Okay, I can see that. Green Bay? I, I, I can see that. I mean, that NFC North, isn't it up for grabs? You take a look at Minnesota, Green Bay, Chicago, uh, and Detroit. You, you, you know that any team that has Mitchell Trubisky as a starting quarterback, you 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 can't. You can't expect that team to turn it around, can you? After what we've seen from Mitchell Trubisky? He did beat out Nick Foles, though, but shit, it's Nick Foles. Are we talking about the Nick Foles that flopped as the starting quarterback in Jacksonville? Are we starting are we talking about the Nick Foles that uh, won a Super Bowl and outplayed Tom Brady uh during that run with the Philadelphia Eagles? Which Nick Foles did Mitchell Trubisky beat out. What does that mean? How does he look? We don't know. There hasn't been any preseason games. We don't know what Mitchell Trubisky is all about, but shit. I can't put my faith in the type of jump that Trubisky is going to need to have the Chicago Bears become legit playoff contenders. Can I? Who's going to be Aaron? Who is going to be catching passes from Aaron Rodgers? I mean, Minnesota, I mean, you know, how many times have we thought that Minnesota was going to be one of the elite teams? We thought that getting Kirk Cousins with uh, that defense was going to um, was going to solidify Minnesota's place as being one of the teams that could win a championship, a team that could be one of the elites. It hasn't happened yet. Cousins has been good. It's been nice. It's been all right. But he hasn't been that guy. You signed that contract. He hasn't been that guy. I mean, he's he signs like I mean, he, the money that he's making and the responsibilities. You know what Kirk Cousins is? You know, if you take a look at Kirk Cousins and the money and everything that he's making, you know, he's like that female. I don't even know, man. I'm so behind a pop culture where it's like he's that female where, yeah, she's nice. She's nice looking. She's attractive. You know, but I really love her personality. But she's attractive, though. She's intelligent. She's got a good sense of humor. But the attractive level, yeah, she's she's cute. She's nice. But when I was signing Kirk Cousins, I was looking for, like, shit. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble here. I was looking for someone like, you know, the sexiness of a celebrity charms. I was looking for, like, the attractive level of a Monica Bellucci. I was looking for the sexiness of a of a Jada Fire. And I got a female who's really smart, intelligent, makes me laugh, and she's cute. I mean, it's not bad, but you know, kind of wanted a little bit more. Thought I was getting a little bit more. <laughs> Why do I always go to the fucking porn stars when I'm trying to describe a female who's sexy? 
Why do I go through the fucking porn stars? What does that say about me? <laughs> what does that say about me as a human being? <laughs> Maybe because, you know what? <laughs> because of the profession that they're in, we can still say that Lisa Ann, Celebrity Charms, Jada Fire, Kelly Star, we can still call them sexy and females that we want to bang until the cows come home and they won't get offended by that. You can't tell an educated, highly educated, well-degreed female that, you know, you don't want to come up to them and say, man, I would love to rip your clothes off and, you know, go to town with you all night long. But you can do that with a porn star because that's what they promote. They're not that as people, but what the fuck am I talking about? Getting back to the goddamn NFL, sorry. It's been a while. I haven't done a, I haven't done a podcast in a week. I'm rusty, okay? Cut me some slack. But getting back to, uh, getting away from, I mean, which one of these teams, I don't know. Can Bill Belichick do it again? Can Cam Newton stay upright? When everybody talks about, here's one thing that doesn't happen. You know, as you get older, Physically, you don't get better. I'm old. Mike Hootner's old. Armando Vasquez is old. Jeff Fenning is old. We're all old, okay? Jay Wex is old. Mikel Davis is old. People who I graduated high school with, we're all old. And some of us have let ourselves go physically, some of us have maintained, and for our age, we're still looking good, and we're still feeling good. And some of us who are our age still think they're foolish enough to think that they're, you know, can still mess with the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings physically and get out there and be active like they're 25, 31 years old, even though they can't, no matter how many times you try to prove that they aren't, that they can't. But my, my, my point is, is that you don't get better physically as you get older. So... You might become, well, you do become smarter. Hopefully you become smarter. But physically, you don't get stronger. And physically, you don't get faster. Physically, you don't get, you don't jump higher. You know, the wrinkles don't go away as you get older. I don't give a fuck how many green smoothies you drink. I don't give a, I don't give a damn how many times you juice watermelons and cucumbers. I don't care how much spinach and kale and parsley and green vegetables that you eat. I don't care what type of vegan diet that you are, that you're on. You get gray hair, you get wrinkles, it happens. That's the way it goes. So with Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Cam Newton and Ben Roethlisberger and Aaron Rodgers and all of these guys, they're, they're not physically, they're not getting better. And I don't care what system that you put them into. I don't care what kind of talent you have around. If they get hit on the blind side, someone who's 35, 38, 40, 41, 43 is not going to be able to take those hits like they were when they were 23, 26, 28, and 31. They're just not. So my, my point is, is that Tom Brady could be better because he might have more might have more options to go to on offense than he did in New England. But if you take a look at Tom Brady, he's been on a slow uh, uh, slow decline in recent years. He's, he's still good. I mean, he's still a very good quarterback. But the Tom Brady of 2009, the Tom Brady of 2013, he ain't coming, he ain't coming back because physically he can't. You know, Drew Brees, the one who set the 
passing records and all of these records, he ain't coming back. He ain't throwing the ball. How many times have we seen Drew Brees throw the ball 40 yards down the field? He ain't doing that anymore. Why? Because he's 41 fucking years old. There's someone who's 41 fucking years old and is playing in the league as long as Drew Brees has, and he's taken the hits and he's had the shoulder surgery and the shoulder injuries and everything that comes with playing the game of football. No longer at that age can you throw the ball 40 yards down the field. So we have to rely on his brilliance. He has to rely on his intelligence. He has to rely on his football smarts. And he has to rely on the brilliance of Sean Payton as the offensive coordinator head coach. And he has to rely on the tools around him to still be an elite quarterback, but that's slowly going to be coming to an end. Does it come to an end this season? Does Tom Brady's brilliance as a quarterback, as we know him, come to an end this season? Because when you're at the age now where when it happens, it happens quick. It happened quickly with Brett Favre. Remember the year that Brett Favre had with Minnesota where he was a stupid-ass play away from uh, the Vikings going to the Super Bowl or at least being in position to kick the field goal? They went to the Super Bowl against the uh, New Orleans Saints. And you remember the year that he had, the year after that? I mean, he was done. It happens quickly. Are, how close to the end are we with some of these guys? How close are we now to Aaron Rodgers falling out of the top eight, top nine of quarterbacks in this league? And what does that mean for Green Bay going forward? I mean, should we have read a little bit more into Jordan Love? I mean, we all speculated and we all sat there and said, okay, that means the timetable or the clock ticking for Aaron Rodgers to no longer be the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers has now started. Well, when does that clock hit zero? Does it happen next year, two years from now? We don't know. We don't know. I don't know how I can prognosticate what's going to be happening with the Green Bay Packers. The Las Vegas Raiders, shit, a team that I thought was going to be mediocre at best. I mean, Derek Carr, I mean, a couple of years ago, that man was playing like he was poised to be top six, top seven quarterback. He was poised to be that guy that could lead the Raiders to a, a, a position to where they could vie for championships. How much does Henry... Uh, Rugg, the, the uh, wide receiver out of Alabama. How much did that bring? The running back last year, who was the offensive rookie of the year. I mean, how does that equate for the Raiders? Mike, May- Mike Mayock is continuing to uh, build the team uh, in his form and fashion. And Jeff, uh, what, John Gruden now is in year three. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. But if you take a look at the last couple of years, or you take a look at the last half of his tenure in Tampa Bay, he was away for the game for over 10 years doing Monday Night Football, and then he comes back. I don't know. Matt Ryan. I don't know. Someone, one of these teams, the Rams, the Chargers, one of these teams are going to do better. Which one is it going to be? Which one do you think it's going to be? Could you imagine? What will it take for a team like the New York Giants or the Arizona Cardinals to um, blow your expectations out of the water. Kyler Murray's got to make a jump from his first year to his second year. That's going to be unbelievable. DeAndre Hopkins is going to have to emerge at the best wide receiver in the game. Clip Kingsbury offense is going to have to be so revolutionary that, that it's going to blow everybody's mind. And, and give it up for Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. And his first year... Adapted very well. I was one of these guys who scoffed. What, you're talking about a guy from Texas Tech who had a 35 and 40 record. You're going to make him the head coach at what, when he's only, what, 15 years old? I mean, come on, give me a break. 
But Cliff Kingsbury showed that he could adapt. Now, I'm not saying that you know Cliff Kingsbury is, going to, is moving up into the territory of a um, Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, and such. But uh, you know, he showed me that he belongs at least for one year. He showed me that he belongs. So I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be interesting again, though. I have no idea who's going to be what, but one of these teams is going to uh, is going to uh, surprise. One of these teams is going to disappoint. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Tampa Bay, the Tampa Brady Bucks. Should we call them that instead of the Tampa Bay, the Tampa Brady Bucks? Next dream team? Are they next year's? Are they this year's uh, Cleveland Browns? A couple of years ago, the uh, Philadelphia uh, Eagles. Remember when Vince Young called them the dream team with the team that he was on? They added Brady, they added Leonard Fournette, Ron Gronkowski, you got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they both made the uh, Pro Bowl last year. Gronkowski's going to join the tight end stable of O.J. Howard, Cameron Bate. Fournette's going to be in the backfield with Ronald Jones II, nice rookie year out of USC. All right, defense should be solid. The entire front seven returns for a defense that was number one in the NFL against the run. Shaq Barnett was the reigning NFL sack leader. And Dominican Sue can still give you a little bit of something along as... Uh, along with Jason Pierre-Paul. They also return. What are the individual expectations, though, of Tom Brady? I want to ask you that question, man. What are the individual expectations of Tom Brady? I'll wait. Still waiting. I don't know. Are they realistic at his age and without a preseason under under a new system? I mean, this is a whole new thing for Brady now. I mean, this ain't Bill Belichick anymore. This ain't... Josh McDaniels anymore. This is a whole new deal. And, you know, as far as, you know, learning the offense and everything, Brady is way too smart and way too seasoned and way too experienced and way too dedicated for that to be a a question mark. I mean, he's going to study. He's going to get it down. And I think Bruce Arians and the offensive coordinator, Byron Lefwich, are smart enough to, you know, tailor-make an offense – for Brady's strength, you know, the old, you know, was it a risk-it biscuit type of uh, quarterback that uh, Bruce Arians like? I'm quite sure there's still plays designed under that type of philosophy, but I'm quite sure there's also going to be a lot of plays where, you know, it's going to be to the liking of Tom Brady. So we'll see. Is he still an elite Super Bowl winning quarterback at the age of 43? And after last season, you got to remember his completion rate is on a three year decline, as I mentioned before. From close to a career high of 67% in 2016 to one of his lowest marks last season when he was around 61%. You can sit there and you can talk about, you know, they didn't have any weapons, they didn't have any this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A lot of that also goes on the quarterback. You had Muhammad Sanu, you had uh, Kylie Harry, you had um, Julian Edelman. I'm sorry. When is Tom Brady, you know, maybe for a uh, quick cup of coffee of a season where he was playing with a Randy Moss or, or a Troy Brown or or, or uh, Dion Branch or something like that. But Tom Brady has never had a Hall of Fame wide receiver on a consistent basis for years and years and years. He's always turned uh, chicken shit into chicken salad. But guess what? He ain't 28 anymore. He's not 32 anymore. He's not 34 anymore. He's 40 fucking three. <laughs> so, yes, it's great that he's got O.J. Howard and it's great that he has all of these, you know, the, the, the duo and wide receiver, Mike Evans, you know, a big target that you, know, you can throw it up to. You know, we get Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski type in his prime at the wide receiver position in 
Uh, Mike Evans, who's big enough to where, you know what, one-on-one, one-on-two situations, if he's double-teamed, just throw it high. Evans is physical enough. He's strong enough. He's big enough. He's skilled enough. He's talented enough that he can go ahead and get the ball. But, you know, how about that offensive line? I know that with the offensive line, they did some work in the draft to improve that. But, you know, I, I still question the impact that Tom Brady can have. I, I think it's going to be positive. I don't think he's going to be throwing 30 fucking interceptions like uh, Jameis Winston with, you know, another 18 that could have been, you know, another 18 possible interceptions that the other team dropped. But uh, I think it's an upgrade. But how much of an upgrade? We'll see. We'll find out. How much, as I'm speaking about what's happening with the Tampa Bay, Tampa Brady Buccaneers here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, how much impact is Rod Gronkowski and Leonard Fournette going to have? I mean, Gronkowski hadn't played 16 games since 2011. Everybody's talking about Gronk, 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 Gronk. Man, it's missed a year. And when he steps on the field on Sunday, that's going to be the first time. He he didn't have preseason football games. Remember, we didn't have preseason football games. He hadn't played 15 games since 2015. Now, all of a sudden, we expect the Gronk, 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 who's missed a year, who retired because he was so beat up. Again, in a situation like that, you could take a year off, but you don't de-age. You can heal, but you don't de-age. So the memories that we have of Gronk making these unbelievable plays, that consistency is not going to be there for Gronkowski in Tampa Bay. Why? Not because he sucks, but because he's older. And while you can heal, you still, with the multitude of injuries that you have, you can heal, but you don't de-age. And you're speaking about the health issues that Gronkowski has had through his career. And you're speaking about 09 where he had the back surgery to address a herniated disc with nerve impingement, which caused him to miss the entire junior year in Arizona, which was the reason why he fell to the third round for the uh, Patriots to get him. 2013, he tore his right ACL, MCL, uh, missed nine games total that year. 2016, herniated disc with nerve impingement, missed the final eight games, including the playoffs, had back surgery. Uh, during that season, 2018, back sprain and strain, which caused him to miss three games. I mean, what are we talking about here? Everybody's up there, you know, clamoring and hallelujah and praising God and for getting uh, Leonard Fournette. If you're a Tampa Bay fan, my, my situation is if it's true that Jacksonville let him go and you can sit there talking about, well, they let him go because they're tanking for Trevor. And, you know, but there was also a situation where how in the world could they not have get, gotten anything for uh, Leonard Fournette? The what? The uh, coach, Doug Barone, for Jacksonville, he said, hey, we tried to get something for him. Nothing out there. No one wanted him. So why would I go ahead and put stock in an improvement on the running back position on a football player who no one wanted. He, he seems talented enough. Leonard Fournette still seems to be a beast. But that shouldn't be a red flag for Tampa Bay fans who are sitting there talking about why if why are we up here cheering and screaming and dancing and singing and hallelujah about getting Leonard Fournette when no one else in the league wanted him? There's some teams with a lot bigger running back issues than we have, and they said no? Hmm, interesting. Not saying that Leonard Fournette is going to be a bust. I don't know. But before we start talking about win-loss total and how well Tampa Bay is going to do and how great they're going to be and all this kind of stuff, I mean, those are some of the answers that need to, those are some of the questions that need to be answered. And the only way they're going to be answered is 
when they start playing. And it's not going to be one week. It's not going to be three weeks. It's not going to be five weeks. I mean, hell, it might not even be eight to ten weeks before we find out definitively if this was the right move, if this was the great move, if this was the move that's paying off or not paying off. So we got a long wait. We got a long wait for those who want to sit there and start talking about, oh, yeah, I'm going to sit there and tell you who's going to win this and who's going to win that. I don't do that shit. I just don't. The Dallas Cowboys, speaking of uh, ain't doing shit here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. They're trying to win their third division, uh, their third NFC East title in five years. What's that going to be like? Had the number one rated offense last season. They had C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. So now you got a potentially strong three wide receiver core of Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and uh, Lamb. Ezekiel Elliott is still an offensive uh, weapon, still an elite uh, running back. The offensive line should be good, despite the fact that Travis Frederick uh, retired. You got Tyron Smith and never coming back from injury. The Cowboys have a new defensive coordinator in Mike Nolan. The defense, a couple of squads throughout his career, also coached a couple of teams. He's switching. He's going to be using a four-man front. The Cowboys haven't seen that on their defense since 2013. Well, it's going to transition to, into a hybrid defense that can run a 4-3 and a 3-4 defensive front. That'll be interesting. So, you know, it's going to be interesting, man. That's the word of the day. Interesting. Say that with me, people. Interesting. Can you use that in a sentence? I find it interesting that every time Wendell talks about a female who's sexy, he goes to a fucking porn star. They're sexy. You give me a porn star. I'm going to end it with this. (laughs) The word of the day, porn star. So on this podcast, if you're listening with your female and you hear me say porn star, you take that, you take your female, you take that guy into the bedroom and you get it on. Let's get it on. Oh, Marvin Gaye style. But uh, let me end with this. I'm done talking football. Let me end with this. You put five females. No, you put six females. Three of them models. Three of them porn stars. Why does every female who's in an adult film have to be a porn star? You know, like the WWE superstar. Not everybody who performs in the WWE is a superstar, all right? Roman Reigns, superstar. Kevin Owens, superstar. Aleister Black, superstar. You know, not all of them guys are superstars. I digress. Remember, I'm Rusty. Give me some slack. Shut the fuck up, I'm Rusty. Sit back and enjoy the podcast. But you put three decent models, three decent porn stars. You don't know who they are. They don't have the, you know, these are three models, these are three point stars. You put six women out there and you choose one to five who you would like to get with. I bet you the top four, I bet you out of the top four, three of them would be porn stars. And then you would find out they were porn stars. You'd be like, oh no, oh no, no, oh no, no, oh no, no, oh no, 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 believe me. Porn stars are sexy for a reason. I've been to enough conventions. Thank you very much, Tim Unglesby. I've been to the AVN a couple of times, man. Believe me. Porn stars know how to be sexy. They know how to walk. They know how to talk. They know how to look. Uh, Sexiness is what they do. Sexiness is who they are. So I don't know how the fuck I got into that. I don't know. But it's time for me to go to a break. Hit me. give, Give me some music.
Wendell's World of Sports. Yes, sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going on in the world of sports. Talked about what was happening in the NFL starting, I believe, in... Whoa, shit. Looks like it's going to be starting in at least 27 hours from the time I'm recording this podcast. By the time I publish it, it'll be less than 24 hours before the start of the NFL season. The Kansas City defending champions versus the Houston Texans. I'm going to try my best not to use the Kansas City nickname. I really don't have any like knowledge in terms of if Native Americans find that uh, nickname offensive, like the uh, Washington football team, their nickname was offensive and they changed it. But uh, just in case, just in case, I'll just go ahead and not use their uh, nickname, uh, you know. So I'll just go ahead and call them the Kansas City Super Bowl champions. I mean, people in Kansas City, don't you prefer that? The Super Bowl champions. I, I mean, I would like that nickname. First time since 1969 season that y'all were champions. So I think that uh, y'all can get used to that until either the Native Americans say it's cool, you can go ahead and continue to use that nickname, or they change it to something else. be interesting to see what type of fight that's going to have between those who are not Native Americans. You're going to sit there and say, I grew up as a Kansas City Chiefs fan. What the fuck? How the hell are you going to change our name just because you people think it's offensive? Oh, my goodness. Sometimes I was talking to somebody. I'll get back to sports in a second. I was talking to somebody and uh, a white friend of mine. Yeah, I have a few. And <laughs> and uh, he was sitting up there and, you know, all these protesting and, you know, you know, just steeped in ignorance and privilege. Oh, Black Lives Matter, is it that and the other? You know, the same, same stupid bullshit of someone who's ignorant on the subject. And I was like, hey, man, can you do me a favor? Could you let me know exactly when racism ended? Because obviously you have it much you have a much better handle on what racism is all about, even though that you're white, you have a much better handle on what racism is all about. So listen, I need to know, because I need to tell my community, I need to tell the masses that hey, we need to stop with this. You know, we need more of this, and we need more of that, and we need this cop to stop shooting us, and we need, you know, to stop ending racial discrimination in the court system, and the communities, and the school system, and everything. All this stuff that we imagine that we're going through because we're black. This white guy is actually going to tell us that, no, none of that stuff matters anymore, or it matters so little that these things the things that take place are so minuscule now that we should just kind of let it roll off our back. So if someone calls us a nigger or if someone does something egregious to us, that the fact that it barely rarely happens, that we should just say, oh, you know, fuck it. Let us just move on and forget it and forgive. So I'm waiting for this guy to uh, text me back in terms of exactly when does racism, when exactly does racism end so I can go ahead and tell all the black folks out there, hey, hey, no need to kneel. No need to protest. No need to demonstrate. No need to do any of these things. Racism's over because my white buddy told me that it actually ended on this date. Isn't that nice? I don't know if it was 2008. I don't know if it was 2004. I don't know if it was 1996. I don't know exactly. I'm interested to find out exactly from this white guy when racism ended. It should be interesting to find out exactly what date he tells me. It should be just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, white folks just have it so rough. I mean, here you guys are just 
trying to do everything you can to promote equality and humanity and unity and equality and togetherness and everything. And then you got these goddamn BLM marchers and everything like that stopping your stopping your your quest for equality amongst everybody, amongst white people's terms. It 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 must be so hard to be a white male. It, it just I feel for you guys. Boy, every single day you have to live as a white male in this country. And if you're rich, oh, oh, just, just awful. Just awful. The indignity that you guys have to go through. Oh, you know those minorities though. Boy, I tell you, give them folks an inch, they want a mile. I mean, we made a black guy president and they still are up there whining and complaining about cops killing us and whipping our asses. And they still complain about we don't get enough opportunities in this country. My God, so selfish. Oh, my goodness gracious. Unbelievable. Wendell's World of Sports. <laughs> I told you I'm rusty. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I'm um in my humble abode here in... Northwest Washington, on in Northwest Washington, geez, 40th slip. Northwest Las Vegas on an absolutely beautiful 75-degree day here in the valley. On the TV as I'm recording as I'm recording this podcast, I am watching the 1984 NCAA basketball championship between the Houston Cougars, Five Slamma Jamma, and my Georgetown fucking Hoyas. God rest his soul to the great John Thompson. If you want to hear my thoughts and opinions about John Thompson, go to my YouTube page, Wendell Wallace. Just type in Wendell Wallace when you get to YouTube. Not W-E-N-D-A-L-L, you stupid motherfucker. It's W-E-N-D-E-L-L. 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 My name is Wendell, not Wendell. <laughs> Wendell, W-E-N-D-E-L-L, Wallace, W-A-L-L-A-C-E. And you can find my thoughts and feelings about Coach Thompson then. But uh, I have to say, 1984, man. 1984 during this time, one of the happiest moments of my life. I was 15 at that time, had girls on my mind, hanging out with the fellas, hanging out with Mikel Davis and Cliff Glover and Kevin Gray and Hayden Witter and... Steve Smith and Kevin New York Perkins and all those guys and uh, yeah, just living life and, you know, had Narda on my mind, had Marcy on my mind, had Felisa on my mind, had, you know, Kara Ingram on my mind, had all them girls on my mind back then at 15, doing stupid shit, thinking stupid shit, but having fun. And uh, boy, was I on cloud nine when Georgetown won. My dream to play for Georgetown University was just through the roof, man. I would have given anything. If, if you could have told me at the age of 15 watching this game that, you know what, you'll play four years for John Thompson and for Georgetown, but you'll only live to be 40, I would have said, sign me the fuck up. <laughs> because my whole dream in life, my whole being in life, my whole reason in life was to uh, play basketball for um, Georgetown, then go ahead and play for the Los Angeles Lakers Showtime and have sex with Ola Ray every day. And then after that, it just would have been like, you know, whatever happens in life, I don't give a fuck. So, you know, when you're 15 and you're ignorant and you're stupid like I was, still am, except for the age. You know, those are the things that you think about. But yeah, in the background, got my Georgetown Hoyas on against the uh, Five Slamma Jamma. Man, you David Wingate, Reggie Williams, Michael Jackson, Patrick Ewing, 
Michael Graham. Michael Graham from Spingarn. Michael Graham is my LinkedIn friend. I am, I'm stoked. Uh, you know, Houston, you had Reed Geddes. You had Michael Young, Larry Misha. No, Misha wasn't on this team. He was on the 83 team. But you had uh, Ricky Winslow, Justice Winslow's uh, father. You had Alvin Franklin, big, big-thighed Alvin Franklin. You had uh, Michael Young, great outside shooter. Good teams. But watching these games, I'll get back to the I'm going to get to the NBA in a second. I just want to say this because I hear people talking about how much the NBA sucks and it's a three-point league and it's garbage and none of these guys can play in yesterday's game and all this kind of nonsense. And I always say this, man. You take a look, take a look at some of these games. Take a look at how open these players are from 17 to 19 feet. The fact that at that time, Reed Geddes, who was considered a shooter, Michael Young, considered a shooter, a dead-eye outside shooter, wasn't even thinking about taking a 19-footer against Georgetown's 2-3 zone. Was amazing. That's almost a fucking layup. The guys, the, the, the shots that these guys are passing down right now during this game are virtual layups in today's game. Because of the skill level, it's so, it's so much higher in terms of shooting, ball handling, and such. I mean, Georgetown, you have five guys. They're all packed in the paint. They're all packed in the paint, and Houston's passing the ball around the zone 19, 20 feet away from the basket. You can't get, a, you can't get away with that shit in the NBA. You're going to give NBA players, even today's college players, you're going to be giving these guys wide open 19, 21, 24-foot jumpers? Shit, you ain't winning any basketball games like that. But the game is so much better. The players are so much stronger. They're so much more skilled. It's just amazing. Michael Graham, the way he played, you know, being the enforcer, he couldn't get away with that today. He just couldn't. Michael Graham as a freshman for Georgetown, I mean, he was a banger. I mean, he was a guy who was a um, disruptor. I mean, he was he wasn't a goon, but, you know. He was one of those guys. He was the enforcer. There ain't no enforcers for the most part in the game today. The enforcers in the game today can actually play. P.J. Tucker can play. Marcus Smart can play. These quote-unquote tough guys, they're not, they're not just out there on the court to you know bang on the superstars. They're out there because they're skilled basketball players. And if that skill means boxing out and rebounding, playing defense and such, these guys can still hit wide open 19, 20-footers, which back in the days of when I'm watching, they couldn't. The great Lakers Showtime teams of the 80s, Kurt Rambis wasn't going to be shooting a 19-footer. I don't give a fuck how wide open he was. Mark Ivoroni wasn't going to be shooting a wide open 19-footer. Bart Landsberger wasn't going to be shooting a wide open 19-footer. Those power forwards who were there just basically to bang on um, the superstars of the game, especially Bird and Magic and those guys. Rick Mahorn wasn't going to be shooting wide open 19-footers. That wasn't happening. That wasn't their skill set. Today, everybody in the NBA has an offensive skill set. So, interesting game. Love watching my Georgetown Hoyas play. Can't wait for the seasons to start. But, uh, yeah, that's what I got going on right now as I'm doing this podcast. Um, Georgetown versus Houston, 1984. God rest his soul to the great, great, great John Thompson. The great, great, great John Thompson. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, man, let's get into the NBA very quickly. Uh, Playoff games after the boycott. Milwaukee Bucks eliminated from the playoffs, lost a five game to the Miami Heat. 
He closed out their semifinal series against the top-seeded best record in the NBA Milwaukee Bucks on Tuesday, beating them 103-94 to take the series 4-1. Jimmy Butler had 17 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Jay Crowder had 16. Tyler Hero scored 14. Bam Adebayo had 13. Kelly O'Lenning had 12 for Miami at the second straight season. Milwaukee has entered the postseason with the best record in the league but failed to advance to the NBA Finals. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it was a bad matchup. It really was. I mean, the Miami Heat exposed the Bucks in many ways. Miami was the quicker team, the more versatile team. It seemed like they were the more hungrier team, the more athletic team. Jimmy Butler, in terms of the alpha male for each team, outplayed Giannis in the you know, role that each had, again, as, you know, Jimmy Butler was the, is the alpha dog of that team. He's the leader of that team. He's the best player of that team. He's the engine of that team. So his attitude, his uh, performances, his everything, you know, translates down to the rest of the players on that squad. Giannis played hard. Giannis gave it everything he got, but Jimmy outplayed him. And there were a couple of instances in the series where it was kind of like, hmm, Giannis, that's, huh, that's not alpha dog-like mentality. Game one, when Butler was going off, why didn't Giannis say, fuck this, man, get out of the way. Wes, get out of the way. I'm guarding him. I'm taking him. And I'm not saying that, you know, you, you hold him to nothing, but show the team that, hey, I'm the MVP. I'm the defensive player of the year. Fuck this. I'm shutting him down. Or I'm going to, I, I got him. If he's going to go off and do a thing, he's going to go off and do a thing and get the best player on the planet, the best defensive player on the planet, which is me. I'm the leader of this team. I'm dictating who's doing what on this team in terms of winning or losing. So Wes, get the fuck out of here. Stay on the court. Get off the court. I don't give a fuck what you do. I'm going to be taking Jimmy Butler. Giannis didn't have that attitude throughout the series. You know, there. I mean, you know what? What? I don't understand. And you know, I, my boot holders to coach. My boot holders to coach. My boot holders to coach. You're Giannis Antetokounmpo, man. If you're talking about, if you go to coach Bootenholzer and says I'm I'm playing 48 minutes, guess what? You're playing 48 minutes. I mean, they they're they're, they're crushing Bootenholzer about you know him playing Giannis only 32 and 35 and 38 minutes. Okay, you can blame Bootenholzer for that, but I also have to blame Giannis. For coming up the boot holder and saying in the second half, hey, I ain't coming out of the game. Fuck it. I don't give a fuck. Do not take me out of the game. If you go, if you sub for me, I will not come out of the game. Period. I'm going the whole 48. Or I'm going the whole 24 in the second half. I mean, that's what Kyle Lowry is doing in the Toronto. That's what uh, Nick Nurse has uh, um, Fred Van Vliet doing. Those two guys aren't close to Giannis in any way, shape, or form. In a season where the season's on the line, now I know that he got hurt in game four, but you know, games one and two and three, when you see the body language, when you see the, just the, the vibe that the Milwaukee Bucks were having when they figured, uh-oh, looks to us like, like Milwaukee, uh, Miami might be the better team. It's got to be Giannis who says, fuck this, man. I'm taking this shit over. I'm putting this, get these guys on our back. Despite all of the, the deficiencies I have as a basketball player on the offensive end, I'm going to take the responsibility to try to do everything. And that doesn't mean to continue to jack up three-pointers, you know, you know before, the, before the defense is set with 19 on a shot clock. 
But he's got to impose his will in any way. It's like, okay, fuck it. If I'm not going to be able to get to the rim for flips and dips and dunks uh, like I did in a regular season, I can then go ahead and concentrate instead of getting 13 rebounds a game. I can go ahead in this series and concentrate and try to get 18 or 19 rebounds a game. Instead of getting two block shots a game, I can try to increase that to four. Instead of having Jimmy Butler go off, I can go ahead and try to neutralize his game. Instead of having Jay Crowder go off, I can try to neutralize his game. Any... Miami Heat player that got heat that got hot, I can go ahead and try to extinguish that fire. I mean, he doesn't have to score 45 points a game to have a strong impact on the series. And I just thought that uh, there were a lot of empty calorie moments for Giannis in this series, which is not to say that he doesn't deserve all of the accolades that he gets. Not saying that, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks should be looking to trade him. Not saying that Giannis needs a Michael Jordan I mean, I'm sorry, Richard Jefferson. That was one of the dumber things I've heard in this discussion in terms of, well, you know, he needs, he's Scottie Pippen. He needs a Michael Jordan. Let me ask you a question, Richard. What player in the game today does not need a Michael Jordan? Who wouldn't benefit from having a Michael Jordan? LeBron James could sure use a Michael Jordan. Anthony Davis could use a Michael Jordan. Luka Doncic could use a Michael Jordan. James Harden could use a Michael Jordan. What the fuck? <laughs> and that's not to say that those guys are bad. Guess what? Michael Jordan could sure use a Giannis and Nakupo. Michael Jordan could sure use a LeBron James. LeBron James, excuse me, Michael Jordan could sure use a James Harden. What the fuck are we talking about? Again, why do we go to Michael Jordan? So to disparage Giannis, Basically, you're saying is, well, sorry, he's a fraud. I told you. I told you he wasn't Michael Jordan. So because he's the best player of the league, because he's a two-time reigning MVP, because he's supposed to be the new flavor in town in terms of being a great NBA basketball player, oh, at the age of 25, after playing only seven years, he's not Michael Jordan. He's a fraud. My God damn. God damn it. Richard Jefferson, you played in the league. You should know better. Does it say some stupid shit like that? And guess what? If he is Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen is a Hall of Famer, one of the most versatile NBA players who's ever played the game, and he's one of the he was voted one of the fifty greatest greatest player who's ever played the game. How could that be a backhanded compliment, or how could that be a side swipe at Giannis Antetokounmpo? Shit! If Giannis can have the career of Scottie Pippen, that's not a that's not a disappointment. That's a great accomplishment. Oh, I forgot to also mention, Scottie Pippen was a five-time NBA champion. What? Or six-time NBA champion. What the fuck are you talking about, Richard Jefferson? With that, he's a Scottie Pippen more than he is a Michael Jordan. I thought Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player of all time. So if that's the case, yeah, Giannis Antetokounmpo was not a Michael Jordan. Nobody's a fucking Michael Jordan. <sighs> I just... I don't know. It's like when people say, oh, you know, he's not active in the social. You know, he needs to be more active in social injustice and all those things. He's not a Muhammad Ali. Oh, shit. He's not a Muhammad Ali. I mean, what a fucking sellout that guy is. <laughs> I mean, who can't be a Muhammad Ali, right? I mean, give me a break. So it's, it's shit like that that just drives me. It just drives me fucking nuts. But, um, you know, it, it was a total team collapse from the Milwaukee Bucks. Guess what? Not only did Giannis not... Uh, live up to his bargain, and maybe if he did, I don't think that would really, really would have made a difference anyway, because I just think, again, that when you take a look at the Miami Heat, you take a look at the way they were playing, Brian Windhorst 
said this many times on his uh, podcast. He has a great podcast with him and Jabby McMullen and Tim Bohamps and uh, and uh, Dave McMahon and all those guys. And uh, you know, he, he made they made a great point throughout the year that you know at the All Star Game when you know everybody was talking about Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Milwaukee in the finals, Milwaukee in the finals. I mean, he was like, I'm hearing coaches, GM players, when they talk about how great Milwaukee is and how they're NBA champions and NBA championship material, they laugh. They scoff. Because they all say, yeah, sure. These these guys can do some great work in the regular season. Yeah. Show it to me in the playoffs. Prove it to me in the playoffs. I ain't believing any of this shit that y'all are spewing about how great Milwaukee is until they prove it in the playoffs. And we think, this is coming from, Brian Windhorst was talking about, this was coming from multiple, it wasn't just James Harden, who doesn't like Giannis, but it was coming from multiple players, coaches, scouts, GMs, people in the in the league. They were scoffing at you know how great the Milwaukee Bucks were, and scoffing about how people were sitting there talking about how you know their favorites to be in the NBA Finals and stuff because they were like they're built for the regular season and not for the playoffs, and they were proven right. Uh, Miami, again, I mean, how, how in the world if you're Milwaukee, how can you let Tyler, Tyler Hero many times be the second or third best player on the court behind Butler and Giannis? I mean, how, if you're Chris Middleton and you're an all-star, how can you be outplayed by Tyler Hero? I, I, I you know, I, I don't understand that. Because of that system that, that, that they play, Milwaukee didn't get any um, easy shots. And the defense that Mike Budenholders and... The Milwaukee Bucks employ lens for three-point shooting. On the high screens, they're going to go under the screens. They're not going to go over the screens. And guys like Hero and Duncan Robinson and Jay Crowder were like, cool, you're going to give us three-point shots? We'll take them. Someone must have been watching the 1984 NCAA basketball final. Uh, we can actually shoot from the outside. You know, you give us wide-open shots from 23 feet, we can make those. You're not going to respect us? We'll make them. And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. So Eric Bledsoe couldn't finish at the rim, couldn't create for others. Every shot for Milwaukee, especially especially against the set defense for Miami, it just seemed so hard for them to score. It was so hard for them to get anything. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, you know, break down the defense in transition or whatever. Giannis got his points. You get Giannis with a head of steam. I mean, the guy's devastating. But how many times did you see that once the uh, half court was set? And when the half court was set, they relied on jumpers, contested jumpers. And you're not going to win with contested three-point shots if you're in Milwaukee. When you have Brooke Lopez out there shooting corner threes, when you have Wesley Matthews who can't shoot out there trying to take shots, Pat Connington was a no-show, Kyle Korver couldn't hit shots and, and, and played sparingly because if he's not making shots, what else, what other reason do you have him in there for? I mean, it was nobody else. Chris Middleton, nice, decent series, but not impactful except for the second half of game four. Again, Eric Bledsoe was atrocious. Um... Nobody was there to break down the defense and create. Like, I don't know, maybe someone like Malcolm Brogdon could have done. But they chose Eric Bledsoe. So it, it, it was a flawed team from, from the get-go. Marvin Williams, 
nice, but he really didn't make an impact. So the supporting cast, except for Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton, they did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. Jay Crowder for Miami. Jay Crowder, Gordon Dragic, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, who had some good minutes, Kelly Olynyk, who had some good minutes, Andre Iguodala. They all outplayed Wesley Matthews, Eric Bledsoe, Marvin Williams, Kyle Korver, Pat Connington, George Hill, and uh, Dante DiVincenzo. They killed them. Take game five, for instance. Bledsoe, Matthews, Williams, Korver, Connington Hill, and DiVincenzo. They combined to go 18 for 50 from the field. 7 of 21 from the three-point line. Not going to get it done. Derek Jones, even a couple of times for Miami, came off the bench during the series and contributed. He contributed more than Pat Connington, who Milwaukee, during the regular season, counted on him to do more than Derek Jones. It just seemed like everybody was a positive for Miami in the series. And there was a whole lot of negatives for Milwaukee. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know where Milwaukee goes after this. I don't know what they do. Eric Bledsoe is signed. He ain't going nowhere. You can't trade Chris Middleton. He's signed to a max. He ain't going anywhere. But Brooke Lopez, fine. But I don't know. I don't know what you do with him. Dante DiVincenzo, I think, during the uh, playoffs regressed. Uh, Kyle Korver, nothing that you can do with him. Pat Connington, nothing that you can do with him. George Hill, nothing that you can do with him. Marvin Williams has now retired after 15 years in the league. I don't know exactly where Milwaukee, people are talking about, they need to get Chris Paul. They need to get Chris Paul. Okay, if you get Chris Paul, are you going to give up who? Who are you going to give up? They ain't taking Eric Bledsoe. Uh, the Oklahoma City, Sam Preston ain't no dummy. He ain't John Nash or Wes Unsell or Ernie Grunfeld. He ain't going to be taking someone like an Eric Bledsoe. He's not going to be taking uh, a, a bad contract. Maybe Chris Middleton, maybe, maybe a Brooke Lopez, maybe. I mean, if you're going to throw in a trade for Chris Paul, do you have to also include Dante DiVincenzo? I mean, that's the only young guy you got on your team for Milwaukee. He's the only guy with a little bit of athleticism. That's another thing that hurt Milwaukee. The lack of athleticism. Again, Bledsoe athleticism, but couldn't get anything done. Uh, Middleton, not athletic. Brooke Lopez, big, mobile, but not athletic. Corver, not athletic. George Hill, no longer athletic. Uh, Marvin Williams, not athletic. And Bootenholder didn't run anything. I mean, Kelly Olenek is not fucking, you know, Mr. Uh, All-Star Superstar Athlete. But, you know, he has a skill set that complements his lack of athleticism well to where he doesn't have to use it. He's a seven-foot guy who can roam around the perimeter and shoot threes off the dribble. Who's going to do that for Milwaukee? Nobody. I mean, Jay Crowder, good defender. Goran Dragic, solid point guard. Duncan Robinson, good shooter. Tyler Hero at his age, pretty good all-around player. Kendrick Dunn, athleticism enough to get to the rim. Milwaukee didn't have any of that. So again, it was a it was a bad matchup. And when you're Milwaukee and with the depth that they had, you know, the, the, the depth that they had during the regular season where, you know, you could play 9, 10, 11 people during the regular season and you have the opportunity to play the Minnesotas and the Sacramentos and all the other bad teams and you can rack up wins against those guys and rack up wins because of your depth in, depth in the middle of February and in March and the dog days of, um, 
the NBA season. Shit doesn't work like that when you get to the NBA playoffs, especially when you're speaking about there is no home court advantage. Everything was neutral. So the crowd, the time zone, the travel, the routine, everything, everybody was going through the same thing. So you don't get the advantage of home court. And then you lose Giannis, you have no shot. But they were going down the tubes anyway. It didn't need uh, Giannis getting injured for the middle, for the uh, Miami Heat to uh, pull the handle as the Bucks season was going down the drain. So, I don't know. I always had the feeling, and I have this feeling as I'm talking about this here on Wendell's World and the Sports the Podcast, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. It just always felt that Milwaukee didn't want to be there. You know? It, it, Milwaukee had the best record in basketball coming into the season. But after the restart, and they went down to Orlando after the COVID-19 hiatus and everything that went down with George Floyd and then a little bit later, later with Jacob Blake. They went 8-10 and 10 inside the bubble. They won twice after the league held the walkout in response to the uh, Jacob Blake shooting in Milwaukee. Did you hear, you heard the comments made by George Hill where he was talking about in one of the uh, press conferences, he was like, man, I don't even want to be here. I don't even understand why we're here. And I remember playing that on my podcast and I remember saying, you know, I'm going to kind of remember that because the Milwaukee does go out early. I wonder if we're ever going to, you know, have a book being told or a 30 for 30 being told or a ESPN podcast narrated by Ramona Shelbourne about, you know, exactly what really went down in the Milwaukee Bucks locker room after that Jacob Floyd shooting. I mean, how much was the attitude of George Hill who openly said, I don't want to be here. I don't know the reason why we're here. How much impact or effect did that have on the Milwaukee Bucks psyche and their ability to play, if any? And by the way, even if it did, fuck that shit. Bullshit. That's not the reason why you lost. Didn't help. But you. I don't want to sit there, you know, in a couple of months and have... Holder or Giannis or Chris Middleton sit there and talk about, ah, you know, the uh, situation in Kenosha with uh, the attempted murder of Jacob Blake. I mean, after that, we were just walking around. We were zombies. We didn't want to play anymore. We weren't concentrating this, that, and the other. Don't, don't use that excuse. Don't go DeAndre Wilder, the reason, why, the reason why I got my ass kicked by Tyson Fury because I had 25 pounds of costume walking into the boxing ring. Don't give me any of that bullshit. No, 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 no. You lost to a better team. But yet and still, Milwaukee just, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was the realization that, oh, shit, you know, all, of, all the naysayers who said that we were nothing more than a uh, regular season team, their uh, thoughts are coming to fruition, and we're kind of bummed out about that. And there's, again, nothing really that we can do as Tyler Hero is making us look bad, and Jimmy Jimmy Butler is, is you know, is, is, you know, slapping his dick in our face and there's nothing that we can do about it but uh you know I I, I don't know I don't know but another disappointing postseason film for Milwaukee and it'll be interested to see moving forward I'll get to the Giannis situation in just a second it'll be interested to see moving forward exactly what again the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be doing in this situation and I'm also before I go to uh before we listen to some music I'm interested in this. I wonder in three or four months or whatever, I I wonder if the Milwaukee Bucks are sitting around, say, say next week or a couple of weeks from now, and I wonder if they're going to question the move about boycotting that game. 
a couple of weeks ago. I wonder if they're going to sit back and say, okay, was, was it worth it? Was it really worth it? Because I'm starting to believe, and I don't know, I don't know. This is not a criticism. This is just, I'm, I'm asking you the question. And time's going to tell in terms of answering the question and giving me a definitive answer. But I'm starting to think, was the boycott really worth it? I think it was. Because for a day, for 24 hours, even if 72 hours, we, it, you know, it's not in our mind anymore. But for 24 hours, as I mentioned on my podcast, it gave people an opportunity to talk about this. And again, we ain't changing everybody. But if what the Milwaukee Bucks did in forfeiting or boycotting that game, which caused Major League Baseball and ultimately the NHL and other things and other uh, uh, sporting events to be called off. If it meant having a conversation and it affected 0.0002165 of the population into saying, you know what, I hear what they're saying. You know what, I'm educated by it. You know what, I have a new form of respect. You know what, I have a new understanding. You know what, I've learned and I've grown from this because of what the boycott did. Now they got me started talking with somebody about equality, about police brutality. And because of that, I've now become a better person. I now understand. And now because of that, I can go ahead and give that attitude, my new attitude to somebody else to move forward in this situation who might have been as out of touch, out of tune, out of date, out of uh, everything, ignorant toward the situation. I can now help him. If it helped point zero 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 one six of the state of Wisconsin, in terms of changing the opinion, then I think that boycott was worth it. But it's going to be interesting moving down the line to say exactly, because Jalen Brown made the point during this, should we have played, should we play or should we just boycott the season because of what happened to um, uh, Jacob Blake? And Jalen Brown, the forward for the Boston Celtics, was like, hey man, y'all got to tell me something. Are we going to be, if we end the season, how many of you motherfuckers are just going to go home and chill and relax and hang out with your girlfriend, hang out with your wife, hang out with your kids, go on vacation, get acclimated back to the life you had before the bubble? How many of y'all are going to do that instead of going out and seeing what we can do to uh, get our message across? Take it to the streets like I'm the Doobie Brothers. Because if y'all all, if, if we're going to end the season and I'm out there marching, I'm out there protesting, I'm out there doing what I can try to do to, you know, change people's mind and bring some type of change to this culture, to this society. And I see you motherfuckers on a ship in the middle of, uh, in, the, in the middle of the, of the French, in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, you know, eating lobster and hanging out with your boo and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to be like, what the fuck? So I'm wondering moving forward, you know, what, are the NBA players and organizations doing now to deal with these issues, right? Because, you know, Kyrie and all these guys were like, oh, we don't need to be playing. We need to be pro. We need to be doing this. We need to be, you know, at the forefront. We need to be making changes. Dwight Howard was saying the same thing. We need to be doing this. We need to be doing that. Well, what are the players and organizations from the, or organizational employees from the New York Knicks and the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Chicago Bulls and the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Detroit Pistons, the Charlotte Hornets, not Carolina, but Charlotte Hornets, what are they doing 
while the league resumes to, to promote unity, love, harmony, togetherness in this country. I'm not asking as a criticism. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they have done something. I don't know. I have no idea. That's why I'm asking the question. This is not to insinuate that these motherfuckers ain't doing anything and this is a farce and they're full of shit and all this kind of stuff. I'm asking the question. <clears throat> what has Steph Curry, what has Kevin Love, what has, um, you know, um, uh, um, Blake Griffin, what has, um, what has uh, all these guys, what have they done? I know Draymond Green has been on TNT. Has he done anything to try to promote ra- racial un- uh, uh, unity? What about Clay Thompson? What about Carl Anthony Towns? What about D'Angelo Russell? What about, uh, what about, uh, shit, who plays for, who are those two guards that play for Cleveland? I forget, fuck it. I'm old. What, can, what, what the fuck can I say? But what have they done? Again, this is not to say they haven't done anything. I always like to know what they have done, if they have done anything, and if they haven't done anything, are they planning to do anything? Same thing with the New Orleans Pelicans and the Washington Wizards, the Memphis Grizzlies, Phoenix Suns, San Antonio Spurs, Portland Trailblazers, Philadelphia 76ers, Dallas Mavericks, Orlando Magic, Utah Jazz, Oklahoma City Thunder. Since you guys have left the bubble, have you done anything? I know that, you know, teams like, you know, OKC and Utah and, and those guys, I mean, they've had, they've had grueling seasons and they had a grueling series. So I'm not saying that, you know, you lose game seven on Saturday and then Monday you're out marching, protesting, they're doing whatever. Hey, look, I, I understand, man. You no, know, get reacclimated with the things that are important in your life, your loved ones, your family, your children. I, I get all that. But moving forward now, once that becomes cool and once you become in a good place with that physically and mentally, what are you going to do? And look, I don't want you guys out there 24 hours a day, seven days a week out there trying to do that. That's not your job. I mean, you guys should be trying to get better as basketball players. That's to be your main thing during this offseason, no matter how long or short that it is. But within working on your game, working on getting stronger, doing all the things to become a better basketball player, you know, I mean, let's be real about it, a better employee for your boss, which is the owner of this NBA basketball team, you know, which should be your main focus. What else are you doing in your spare time, you and your family members in the organizations to get better? What's Ray Popovich doing? What's Monty Williams doing? What's uh, Rick Carlisle doing? What's Steve Clifford doing? What's what's uh, Quinn Snyder doing? You know, what are those guys doing? What's John Morant doing? You know, what, are, what is Devin Booker doing? Again, work on your game. Work on your coaching skills. No question about it. But don't be derelict in your duties to do what you promised that you would say that you would do, which would be a soldier in the fight for equality, harmony, togetherness, and the fight against injustice. And that doesn't mean going out there and looting and destroying and shouting and screaming and putting down Jews or anything like that. Just, you know, I'd just like to know what you're doing. That's all. That's all. And again, this is not something to say that and I'm not insinuating that you guys aren't doing anything. You're not planning to do anything and y'all are full of shit. Not that at all. I'm just interested, you know? And I'm really interested when everything is all said and done, exactly how many players were kind of like, hey, man, can we just drop the social bullshit and just kind of like get back to playing basketball, you know? The NBA is not a monolith. I'm quite sure there were many players. And maybe this discussion and revelation will be before the season starts next season. But how many of the players were really committed to the message of social injustice and reform. And 
I'll be honest. I'll be real. I question some of the European players. And I'm not saying that Gordon Dragic and Luka Doncic and Bojanovic or any of those guys. I'm not saying those guys are like, man, I don't give a fuck. Do I look black to you? Why do I give a fuck? I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, look, you know, when the season's over, the season's over, I mean, you know, Chris Porzingis, Luka Doncic and those guys, they're gone. They're going back to Slovenia or Germany or wherever the hell they're from. I mean, they ain't, they ain't hanging around the United States. They got family and friends and back in their home countries. So what are they going to do in terms of fighting for racial injustice here in America? If I'm Luca and those guys, I'm like, man, I'm going to go home and I'm going to see my mom and my dad and hang out and see my hometown and get better as a basketball player. And I'm going to do that in Slovenia and I'm going to say, see y'all in training camp. I mean, you know, aren't you going to march with us? Hey, we're all planning a march down here in Dallas, you know, in uh, September. Luca, you going to be with us? Hey, man, I'm, I'm in Europe, you know. Good luck to you guys. I'm with y'all. Good luck, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'm, I'm in Slovenia, chilling, working on my game. What do you want me to do? <laughs> and for black folks, before they get all bent out of shape, it would be the same way if, you know, a black person, if I was playing in China, or if I was playing in um, in Japan, you know, what's, what's going on with the oppression of, of uh, people in Hong Kong by China, I mean, you know, I'm like, damn, that sucks. Damn, that's horrible. Being a black man, kind of know what you're going through when you're speaking about oppression and discrimination and all those type of things. But, you know, when the season's over, I'm out of here. I, I, you know, I'm not, you know I'll, I'll, I don't have the same fervor and the same vigor and the same passion that, uh, that Japanese people have because I'm not Japanese. I don't live in Japan. And I'm not being oppressed by Asian, by Chinese people. So, again, I feel for you. I hate it. It's wrong. It's horrible. But when the season's over, I'm going back to Maryland. And I'm going to relax. And I'm going to see my wonderful, beautiful, talented, awesome, fantastic, gorgeous, intelligent goddaughter, Sydney. I'm going to hang out with my brother, Mikel Davis. I'm going to check on my mom and see if she's doing all right. And I'm going to, uh, you know, get better as a basketball player. And I'll see y'all when the uh, season starts. You're not going to be protesting on the streets of Hong Kong? And, nah, no, nah, not really. Not really. <laughs> not really. No, nah, sorry. Would love to, but nah, that's okay. So I, I can't sit there and fault the uh, European players if they're not, you know, 100% totally down with, yeah, man, you know, black folks this and black folks that. I mean, yeah. good luck to y'all, really. But I'm heading over back overseas and hanging out with my boys. So good luck to you. Love you. But, you know, be the same thing. Native, I mean, shit, Native Americans are going through the same shit, right? I mean, black folks, black communities. I mean, do we really, how much do we really give a fuck about the um, Native Americans and what they're going through and what they're fighting for? You know, how much support are we giving them? I mean, I know as black folks, we want everybody to give us support. We demand that support. But, you know, tables turn. What are we doing to help? Native Americans fight for their freedom and independence and equality and, and everything. Well, we ain't doing much. I mean, you know, our, our our attitude toward Native Americans, I hate to say it when you're coming from the black community, our attitude toward Native Americans will probably be around the same thing as what, 
you know, a decent number of white Americans feel about what we're going through. So, well, it'll be interesting. A lot in life. Some of the things that you think about in life. But uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are out. The Milwaukee Bucks are gone. And what does that mean for Giannis? Do the Bucks have to trade Giannis? Does Giannis even want to stay in Milwaukee? Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going down in the world of sports today. Thank you very much. I'm going to end this rather quickly. I've been going and going and going and going and going. And next thing you know, I look up. It's late in the second half of the Georgetown game. So I know I've been putting in a lot of work because I've actually rewound this game twice. (laughs) It's an hour and a half. And I've already rewound it like twice. And I'm like in the middle of the second half. So I know I'm way past two hours. So... For all you fucking whiny crybabies, then you fight catch are too fucking long. Let me go ahead and get this out of the way. And the other stuff that I'll be talking about, you can check out on my um, YouTube channel, <clears throat> Wendell's World of Sports, the YouTube channel. Just uh, go ahead and type in Wendell Wallace. That name is spelled W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. I'll be talking about a little bit more what I'm going to be talking about more in depth in on the video version of this podcast, uh, probably in the next 24 hours. So, um, quickly, let me end with this, man. You know, so what we're going to do about Giannis, what we're going to do about Giannis, what's going to be happening with Giannis? Look, Giannis already told Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, he ain't going nowhere. In fact, if I could pull up the quote, the quote he said, he told uh, Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports after the loss that ended the season, he said, it's not happening when asked, you know, are you going to uh, look to be traded? Are you going to be looking to move or anything like that? Looking to go to another team? Are you going to LeBron? Are you going to Kawhi? Are you going to KD? Are you going to Kyrie? He said, nope, it's not happening. That's not happening. Some see a wall and going in another direction. I plow through it. We just have to get better as a team individually and get right back at it next season. Now, many people are saying, yeah, man, I mean, that's right after the uh, loss. I mean, that's sort of kind of like, you know, <clears throat> these guys in college basketball who are supposed to be the number one pick and supposed to be a lottery pick, and after they lose in their tournament, they ask him, are you going to be coming back for your sophomore season? And they're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Or they say, oh, absolutely, yeah, 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 I'm coming back, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then two weeks later, they're like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving for the draft, so, yeah. You ask me 20 minutes after I lose, what the fuck am I going to say? But uh, so many people are saying, yeah, you know, right now, while the emotions are still raw and they're still fresh, yeah, Giannis, the defiant one, is going to be sit there and say, no, I'm not going to surrender defeat. I'm not going to give in. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. But once the emotions clear, and once he talks to his agent, and once he talks to his uh, girlfriend, and once he talks to his family members, and once he talks to his brothers, the folks that are closest to him, and he might have a change of heart and be like, you know what? I'm going to give these motherfuckers one more year. But if we don't get any any closer, I'm out of here. Dallas, get ready. The Clippers, get ready. The Knicks, get... No, please. So, you know, 
that's what he said. Some see a wall and go in the other direction. I plow through it. We just have to get better as a team individually and right and get right back at it next season. And at then the Koopa, who is only 25, he's eligible for a super back extension this offseason that is expected to be around $254 million over five years. The Bucks cannot trade him under any circumstance. They just can't. They just can't. I mean, even if he says, even if he pulls an Anthony Davis with it, what he did with New Orleans, it's like, nah, man, you know what? I'm not signing the max contract. That's okay. Ding, 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 ding. Like, shit, man. If this motherfucker ain't going to. Same with Kawhi Leonard in San Antonio. It's like, well, shit, if this motherfucker ain't going to sign the max contract, uh, I don't think that he's going to be staying. I mean, you know, nothing says I love you more than, sure, I'll sign your $250 million contract extension. No problem. But if he's like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to wait. Nah, I, you know, geez. L.A. looking good, playing with somebody else, better chance to win, looking good. You know, there's a situation where the Bucks might say, well, you know, we better get something rather than nothing. You can't do that if you're Milwaukee. Even if he's leaving at the end of the season, you got to do what Toronto did with Kawhi and just go all in. I mean, man, if you're speaking about Milwaukee, this you might not have a player like this on your roster if you're this organization for the next 20 or 30 years. Giannis and Dinokupos don't come to Milwaukee every 5, 10, 15 years. I mean, awesome job for them drafting this kid when nobody else would based on what they saw of him. But you, you can't, you can't, you have to write it all out. It's a, Milwaukee is not a free agent destination. It's the same concept of building a championship as markets like Indianapolis, Indiana, Salt Lake City, Utah, Sacramento, California, Minnesota State, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, um, North Carolina, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Detroit, Michigan, Cleveland, uh, Ohio, Memphis, Tennessee, New Orleans, New Louisiana. They ain't LeBron, the LeBron Jameses of the world ain't going to Memphis or Detroit or Indiana or Oklahoma City. The Kawhi Leonard's of the world through free agency are not going to Minnesota or Sacramento or Nolens or Memphis. They just, they're, they're not. They're not. So if you're looking at Milwaukee and teams of that ilk in that marketplace, you got to build a championship contender by building, by drafting a superstar and then surrounding him with talent through trades, mid-range free agent signings and drafting. And hopefully, you'll see a guy who's a really good free agent or a guy who's a pretty good free agent or a guy, you know, that you can trade for where it's kind of like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll play with Giannis. I mean, yeah, sure, it's Milwaukee, but, you know, playing with Giannis really means that I have a real chance to win a championship. So, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. It's the kind of same situation that the Oklahoma City Thunder were hoping when they went out and, you know, traded for Paul George. Knowing that Paul George had a year left on his contract and he was telling everybody who would listen that he wanted to play for the Los Angeles Lakers, the Oklahoma City Thunder were like, well, you know what? If you spend a year with us, the experience will be so great and the experience of playing with Russell uh, Russell Westbrook will be so awesome that you'll want to stay. And for a year, he did. Remember that Nas concert? And he came out there and with Russell Westbrook and he's like, I'm staying. And they signed like a two or four year contract or something like that. And then less than 13 months later, he was like, by the way, can I be traded to Oklahoma? Can I be traded to uh, the Clippers? But, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard traded to uh, Toronto. I hate the cold. I don't like Canada. 
I mean, you know, here's a guy who's, you know, 20-something years old or his late 20s and the women of Toronto, and he's a single man, and he doesn't want to be in Toronto with those beautiful women? What in the name of Tiffany Towers is he talking about? But, uh, you know, he was like, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, uh, for the sake of Melissa Ford, I don't want to stay in Toronto. All right. But he got himself a championship. So, you know, it works both ways. But with the Milwaukee, you got to roll the dice. You got to roll the dice. I don't give a fuck if Giannis, middle of next season, says I'm not coming back. It's like, all right, we understand that, but we're going to still do everything that we can to win ourselves a championship. And if you're Milwaukee, man, what do you do? Do you fire Mike Bootenholder? I mean, normally that's the fall guy. Normally the fall guy at the coach when someone underachieves like this two years in a row. Very good coach during the regular season. Won 60 games when he was with Atlanta. He put four starters in the All-Star game. Al Horford, Josh Smith, Kyle Korver, and uh, who was the other motherfucker? Al Horford. Al Horford. Josh. Oh, the point guard. Oh, the point guard who's now played a little bit in Minnesota. And I don't know where the hell he is now. See his face, but don't remember his name. But basically, he put Kyle Korver, Paul Millsap, all Horford and, and, and Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague in the All-Star game. So uh, yeah, he can coach. He went to Milwaukee. The team went from 44 wins to 60 wins in the first season. And he was 56-17 and 17 in the second season with a net rating of a plus nine, nine and a half. But, I mean, some guys were built for the regular season and some guys weren't built for the playoffs. And if you're Milwaukee, did you make that bold move? Like Orlando Magic did when they got rid of Stan Van Gundy and replaced him with uh, Pat Riley with when he was uh, when Stan Van was with the uh, Miami Heat. Who knows, man? Who knows? But there's not a Pat Riley anywhere in the Milwaukee Bucks organization. So what do you do? What do you do? Because getting rid of Bolton Holzer doesn't automatically mean that you're going to become a championship contender. It doesn't mean that you're going to improve in the playoffs. I mean, they were 2-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals against the uh, Toronto Raptors. Lost Game 3 in overtime and then collapsed. But, you know, of games of consequence in this last nine games, boot holders 1-8. That's a fireable offense. It's a fireable offense. I, I don't think it's either way the Milwaukee Bucks go. I don't think it's an egregious uh, error either way, bringing him back or uh, firing him. First of all, I would go talk to Giannis and be like, what are, what are your thoughts on opinions about that in terms of should we keep him or should we let him go you know kind of let him take a gander at that I mean we don't won't have we won't tell anybody we're not if you want him if you want us to let him go we're not going to run to the press and be like well Giannis wanted him out so I mean he's in the final year of his contract what the fuck we're not going to do that but we just like your input on you know your thoughts and feelings about that and if you do get rid of him is there another coach out there that can do better is there a coach that's won championships that's available? Is there a Nick Nurse available for what he did after the Toronto Raptors? You saw Jerry let uh, Dwayne Casey go. Nick Nurse came in, who was a highly regarded assistant, and we see that he's one of the better coaches in the NBA. Does the Milwaukee Bucks have that type of person sitting on their bench? Is Darvin Ham, the assistant coach who's been with Bootenholder for a while, is he that guy who's highly thought of? I mean, are we talking about Jeff Van Gundy? Are we talking about a Mark Jackson? Pat Riley isn't coming back to coach. You ain't getting Greg Popovich. Uh, you know, do you really want to go back to Jason Kidd as your coach? No. Do you want to uh, go with Mark Jackson? No. 
Do you want to, uh, Quinn Snyder ain't going nowhere. Rick Carlisle ain't going nowhere. Nick Nurse ain't going nowhere. Doc Rivers ain't going nowhere. Brad Stevens ain't going nowhere. Do you maybe go get a Byron Scott? No. So, you know, firing him is the easy part. You go out and get yourself Ty Lue, who's won a championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers, has worked with LeBron James, superstars like LeBron James. He's reportedly interested in the Philadelphia 76ers job. Do you make a move to try to get him if you're Milwaukee, if you let Budenholzer go? Do you go out and get Mike D'Antoni, who's going to be a free agent after the season, hasn't been resigned or hasn't been offered a contract extension by Houston? And if the Rockets, Rockets do lose in the second round to the Lakers, my gut feeling is they ain't bringing D'Antoni back, which would be a huge mistake. But if you haven't signed them now, what makes you going to sign them after they lose the playoff game in five or six games? So if that's the case, and if uh, D'Antoni, who said he still wants to coach, do you bring him over to Milwaukee? They need a point guard. If you do, well, then they go then go out and get themselves Chris Paul, as many people have been reporting. Indiana's really interested in D'Antoni. So they're going to have a little competition. The Chicago Bulls would be interested in D'Antoni. There'd be a lot of teams that would be interested in D'Antoni. Again, Darvin Hans, someone who would command instant respect from the current players with his voice and manner as a hard-nosed NBA vet. I mean, NBA vet. I mean, someone like Darvin Ham, who, you know, worked and worked and worked his way, and that's the only reason why he stayed as long in the league as he did through his work ethic. I mean, P.J. Tucker type. Brings some strong developmental background as a longtime assistant to uh, Bootenholder, who offers an annual clinic in the art of team building and management. I mean, his relationship with Giannis, if it's strong enough, would you bring him in based on that? Adrian Griffin, the assistant coach. For uh, Nick Nurse, head assistant coach. Van Gundy has been the Team USA head coach for the past few years. So he hasn't been uh, disconnected from the game. Chris Finch, currently an assistant coach with the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean, he's viewed as a Nick Nurse type. Outside the box thinker. Spent several years head coaching overseas. A standout run in the G League. He had much more of an American presence than, say, someone like a David Blatt, who was a superstar overseas but never really... Uh, adapted to the NBA coaching style and structure. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. So, you know, the Bucks have themselves a way to go, but, uh, you know, they they, they made their own mistakes, giving Eric Bledsoe all that money and letting letting Malcolm Brogdon go. It was a big deal. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. You can check out a little bit more of what I'm putting down in terms of, uh, you know, the NFL and the NBA and the playoffs, not really touching the Lakers in Houston. I'll put that, I'll save that for the uh, YouTube podcast. I have my thoughts and feelings about that. Going to wait probably until the end of the Boston-Toronto game and the LA Clippers, LA Clipper-Denver Nugget game. I'll probably have that content also on my YouTube channel. That's Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L. W-A-L-L-A-C-E on YouTube. I'll go ahead and have some content about that. So, yeah, it'll basically be about that. So I've talked long enough. It was good to be back. It's great to be back. Um, Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Listen, learn, learn, listen. I appreciate each and every one of you. Jess Femming, Mike Hootner, Jay Wax, Mikel Davis, Sydney Davis, Armando Vasquez, Marvin Prather, 
David O'Neill, all you guys. Love you guys. Miss you guys. Glad to know you guys. And, uh, you know, I'm a better person because of you guys. Not to mention my mom and dad, my family, my cousins, my uncles, my aunts, and everything. So, you know, if you got some time, you know, let them know by speaking, showing, somehow, some way that uh, you're important to them. And, man, always please remember, man, you know, even if, even if you're speaking with someone of the opposite sex and it's like your intentions are like bottom of the barrel, man, sometimes just having one person, one person think that you're a superstar, think that you're beautiful, think that you're desirable, even if one person, even if that person didn't even think that you are desirable for them. The fact that they know at least one person has high regard for you as a person, as a human being, that goes a long way. So what I'm saying is, if you want to flirt with a beautiful young thing, male or female, flirt away. Sometimes it can, be, it can mean a lot, uh, even if the intentions are shallow. Music! <laughs> 